know, so that you can uh, find out what is in it. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? What's going on in the world today? And come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet Radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 Three six seven five. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is common sense. Greetings, this is Carolyn. I'm unable to take your call at this time. strikes. What's your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, lizard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show. It's 
Action.com and click on the icon for my. Yep. Oh, no. Are you in, Curtis? Curtis? Yeah, I guess I got to keep my phone. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really really strange, and uh, I hope people are able to at least come into the chat room or something because uh, it, this is this is really 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 messed up. Uh, for some reason, it's I tried calling in and using Skype, of course, as I always do, and I had no sound. You couldn't dial in, so whoever is trying to listen to the show and is in the chat room. Please let me know that you're able to hear us because this has been a cock-up from the get-go. Oh, my goodness. I see. Yeah, I see him in there. And, oh, good. I hope you can hear us because (laughs) I don't know what the heck is going on here. What a mess-up. An absolute complete mess-up. Oh, jeez. Anyway, you're here (laughs) listening. I'm hoping you can hear us. Uh, live at Southern Sense here, live on Blog Talk Radio, I think. I, I'm going to have to change the, the initials to BTR. <laughs> we have to think of a new name for this platform that yeah, we're using. This is um, crazy. Ah, it is. It is absolutely crazy. And I think we finally got it up on Facebook, too, now, so people should be able to listen live there. Uh, it's not up on YouTube, unfortunately. Uh, what we'll get it up there a little bit later. Oh, uh, if this is the way, I don't know how our guests are going to call in. If if you couldn't call in, I couldn't call in. How the heck are we going to get our guests to call in? This is. I this guess is we're really, going to just to call them. Like you, well, I don't like have you dialed all me. the phone I don't have all the phone numbers, and that's the problem. That's scary. Oh, yeah, you know, I have for um, for Michael Beatrice. As a matter of fact, I sent you an email with his phone number. Um, Ted Yoho, how, I don't have his phone number. Um, I'm looking to see if I have it. I don't. Well, I, don't I can email you. His, I can email you his well, phone number. Well, I see you in the studio, so you should be able to dial out to him. Uh, through the studio because if I do it, it's gonna everyone's gonna hear what I say. I mean, I can't even my backup phone number. I can't even call in with. It gives me a busy signal, so I don't know what the heck we're gonna do. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to hook it. Whatever it is, we're gonna well, have to hook it, Curtis. Improvise. <laughs> this is improvise and adapt like the Marines. Yeah, which means that uh, that other platform that we're going to be going on to, I'm going to have to start doing it a little bit faster and a little bit more sooner than later. Because if Blog Talk Radio is giving us this piss poor service, Lord help us further down the road. And maybe this is a way to silence the conservative message. I'm wondering if it's just me or if it's across the entire platform. But man, they're coming after us. They are coming after us. Fast and furious. I have no doubt. I well, have no doubt. I'm going to have to see while we're, do, yeah, while we're doing the dedication song whether or not I can uh, get a hold of the other reps with the other guests and have them know that we have a problem. 
to give me a contact phone number to call them. Otherwise, we're SOL. We really are SOL. Anyway, hopefully, hopefully we'll have all of our guests being able to later on call in. But this this is really, really screwed up. You know, it used to be when we started here with Blog Talk Radio, premium support was immediate. And uh, as a matter of fact, I'm sending them a message uh, or co-host. I'm telling them, no guest or co-host can call in. Busy signal. Well, at least it keeps our trolls away. <laughs> yeah. I gotta say that at least it keeps the trolls away. And meanwhile, it's it's tell me how to schedule a broadcast. This is great. I sent the message. I said no guests or calls can call in busy signal, and you'll say you'll get your replies here usually in one day. Meantime, these articles might help you. How to schedule a live broadcast? Well, no shit, Sherlock. We've been only doing this going on eleven years. Invite guests to your show. Well, that's great if they can't call in. And how much does it cost to connect the host and the guest line? Boy. I imagine they figure if they sabotage us enough to, to, you know, have our audience tune tune out. I don't know. Unbelievable. Un-unbelievable. Anyway, uh, let's get rolling a little bit here, Curtis. I apologize for the side guys, but uh, as usual, we'll be messed with by Blog Talk Radio which is why we're going to be going to a new platform. And anyone that wanting to listen or watch the show will have to go directly to my website, which is the name of the show, Southern Sense, put it dash in the middle, Southern Hyphen Sense. Everything will be run off of our website. None of this secondhand BS anymore. I mean, I've been doing this since 2010, and it's time we walk away. I, I, I think it's time, Curtis. And it's going to be a lot sooner than later. Hopefully, within the next month, I can get everything up and running. And this is crazy. This is just just beyond the pale at this point. Anyway, those that listen to the show after I get off with my opening rant knows that we dedicate each and every show to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going out to Specialist Henry Mayday Jr., who was killed in action on January 5th last year of 2020, serving during an operation I bet no one has ever heard of before, but he was serving during Operation Octave Shield. And as we go to our dedication, this is from the Military Times as well as from the Chicago Tribune. And it begins... Pentagon has identified the U.S. soldier killed in an Al-Shabaab attack in Kenya on Sunday, January 5th of 2020. Army Specialist Henry Mitch Mayfield Jr., only 23, died while supporting Operation Octave Shield. The name for the mission focused on targeting military groups in Somalia, the Pentagon said. He was killed during an attack that included mortars and small arms fire, that breached the base's perimeter and damaged six aircraft. There was no immediate information released how Mayfield was killed during the attack. He was assigned to the 1st Battalion, 58th Aviation Regiment, 164th Airfield Operations Group. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, 
out of Fort Richter, Alabama. His battalion provides expeditionary air traffic control and airfield management. Mayfield and two Department of Defense contractors died after the attack on Manda Bay Airfield, which is roughly 150 miles south of the Kenya-Somali border. Two other Defense Department members were also injured in the attack, but remained in stable condition. Quote, our thoughts and prayers go out to Specialist Henry Mitch Mayfield's family, friends, and loved ones, unquote, said Colonel William Garber, commander of the Fallen Soldiers Unit. He further added, Mayfield was a dynamic soldier who inspired those he served with to excel both on and off duty. The 164th Theater Airfield Operations Group will miss his leadership and camaraderie. Mayfield is a native of the Chicago, Illinois suburb of Hazelcrest. He enlisted into the Army on August of 2017. His mother, Carmenetta, said that she spoke with her son during the New Year's holiday. We discussed him not having to go to Somalia, and he told me everything was good and safe at his base. She told NBC5 in Chicago, he told me everything would be okay. Those were his last words to me. The attack was carried out by Al-Shabaab, a regional Al-Qaeda franchise that the United States and East African partners had been battling in Somalia. The attack on the compound and airstrip at Manda Bay was repelled by U.S. and Kenyan forces only after the militants caused severe damage to aircraft on the base, which included planes configured for intelligence gathering. Reports indicated that six contractor-operated civilian aircraft were damaged to some degree. The AFRICOM statement reads, Manda Bay Airfield is utilized by U.S. forces whose missions include providing training for our African partners, responding to crises, and protecting U.S. interests in this strategically important area. AFRICOM spokesman Air Force Colonel Christopher Carnes said the attack was not linked to tensions between U.S. and Iran. General Stephen Townsend, Afrikan commanded, offered condolences to the fallen soldiers' family following the attack. As we honor their sacrifice, let's so also pardon our resolve, Townsend said in a statement. Alongside our African and international partners, we will pursue those responsible for this attack in Al-Shabaab who seeks to harm Americans and U.S. interests. And from Chicago Tribune, friends, family, fellow soldiers, and more gathered for a Purple Heart service at the House of Hope Church to remember Army Specialist Henry Mitch Mayfield, Jr. Mayfield, 23, was killed on January 5th of 2020 on Manda Bay Airfield in Kenya. Al-Shabaab, an Islamic extremist group based in Somalia, has claimed responsibility for the assault that killed Mayfield Jr. and two American defense contractors. A closed casket draped in an American flag stood before dozens of people who celebrated Mayfield's life and service through remembrances and music at the church on 114th Street in Chicago. His grandmother, Annette Horton, said in the program, 
we love you, but God loved you more. Mayfield graduated from Hillcrest High in 2014 and attended Northern Illinois University in DeKalb. He worked as an aircraft fueler before joining the Army. Seeing you grow, graduating high school, working at the airport, and then making the most adult decision of your life joining the Army. You said it was the best decision for your future, Horton said. After the funeral service, friends and family recalled Mayfield as outgoing and fun. Gregory Hoy, who attended grad grad school with Mayfield and knew him for years, said he heard about his friend's death from the news. He said Mayfield was always popular. Everyone was cool with him, Hoy said, and he was cool with everybody. Mayfield's cousin, Jacqueline Beavers, echoed Hoy. He was a jokester, he said. He really, really was a good character. Beavers added she was devastated when she heard her cousin had been killed. I was distraught, she said. I thought, though I am proud of the sacrifice he made for this country, it's just hard to even think about that happening to him. He was so young and had so much to do. His life was cut short. Gary Dozer said he is a friend of Mayfield's uncle and was close with Mayfield, but he wanted to support the family. He called the service very nice. More than friends and family attended the the memorial service. Members of the military, as well as first responders, and civilians who never knew Mayfield or his family turned up to honor him. About a dozen members of the Volunteer Illinois Patriot Guard, a motorcycle enthusiast organization that honors veterans at their funerals, lined the entryway of the church with American flags. David Geyer said, the group will volunteer for service members who have died, no matter the circumstances, because service members' funerals are important. It means one more of Americans' finest has fallen, and we are here to honor them, their family, and their friends, he said. Geyer, who is not a veteran, drove in from Crestfield to honor Mayfield. Besides the flag line, Geyer said the Illinois Patriot Guard also offered Mayfield's family a plaque and flag. He said last year his group volunteered at more than 200 funerals for active duty and retired service members. As long as they were in uniform and honorably discharged, they are worthy of the Patriot Guard honor, he said. Today's show goes out to Army Specialist Henry Mayfield, Jr., but it also goes out to all the brave men and women out there that served in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into its future. We also dedicate the show to all of the first responders out there. Be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency workers. We could dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herndon, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one. Green. 
You're listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio. Oh, good Lord. Wherever else we are. We're up on Facebook. Thank you, Ken Benway, for letting us know that we're up on Facebook. Matter of fact, my computers are even acting up on me here today. Curtis, you want to know how... Oh, I forgot to unmute Curtis. And Curtis forgot to unmute himself. 
<laughs> good going, the two oh, of us, Curtis. I'm I don't know. So wrapped up in everything that's going on. I, I can't remember the regular things, routine things. <laughs> I mean, guys, you have no idea the, the, the day I have been having. And then when I go to sit down on the computer, and here, I, I, t- I tell you, Chris, every single time I go to start the computer for the show on Friday, something goes wrong. Now, last night, I sat down at the computer, I made sure I rebooted everything, and I went through all the programs to make sure they were up to date, so they weren't going to do any updates last second as I opened them up, and lo and behold, I sit down at the computers, and I had to reboot the main computer three times, I had to turn around, and there's certain programs that are, for some reason, have ended up in my startup. So I had to go back and turn them off, reboot it to get them to make sure that they're not even running anymore. Go into task manager, make sure they're not running anymore. And lo and behold, I start the programs and they update on me. Why did they choose to do an update in the middle of a Friday afternoon instead of doing it in the middle of the night when you're not on the computer? It happens every single time. And (laughs) And now with Blog Talk Radio messing up, so if anyone is attempting to call in, they're going to get a busy signal. Thank you, Blog Talk Radio. And you and I didn't sign in until about three minutes before we went on air. It is, it's one of those days. It's, it's today. Oh, actually, it's Friday the 13th times yep. two because it's 26. Think about that, Curtis. Friday the 13th times two is the 26th, right? Yeah, 26. <laughs> They, they gave us a dumb double whammy today. Oh, man. Oh, Your problems it's, and audio problems. Uh, it is. It, it, and right now, our first guest, his agent, is not responding to the text. So I don't know if we'll be able to get him in. Uh, unbelievable. And you know what? Blog Talk Radio charged my account the full amount of the service. Uh, they're going to be hearing from me. They are definitely going to be hearing from me. You give me a message on how to have guests on the show and they can't call in. Good going, Blog Talk Radio. And I hope someone from BTR is listening in because you all screwed up big time today. Big, big time. And what they say, 24 hours? Yeah. Look it back to me within 24 hours. Oh, my so, God. Show will be over yeah. long before then. Yeah, and it used to be when we first came on to Blog Talk Radio, you hit the help, and a chat room would open, and they would get back to you right away within a split second. That split second has turned into days. All right, here I am. I'm I'm in for a rant today. I am in for a rant. Um, Yeah, full price duck. Full price for bad service. That's the problem with technology. That's the problem with technology today. We... I think we're too dependent on it, and we really don't have many options outside of it once it takes over a particular field or whatever. Mm. I mean, it's, if it goes down, it's down. You know, think about this. If um, they wanted to, they can just stop all your pension checks and Social Security checks and everything from coming in. All they have to do is just shut down the mainframe, and you exactly. just stuck. Exactly. That's what I don't like about it. it. I take a paper check any day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, um, 
<laughs> a little side story. Um, when the pandemic hit and everyone was cleaning off all the grocery store shelves and everything, you know I love to cook. And you've, you've eaten some of my cooking. And I wanted, oh, yeah. to make, I wanted to make bread. And I had run out of bread flour. And I'm looking through the cabinet and saying, all right, what am I going to do instead? And I really did want to make this one specific type of bread. And I couldn't find the flour I needed for it. So I went to the store and the shelves were empty. I mean, I, I, you, you'd think it would be toilet paper, sanitary wipes, you know, cleaners. Those would be things they would clean off the shelf. But no, bread flour. All the, gone. Gone. So I go online to see who has, you know, this specific type of bread flour I wanted. And I came across uh, a website called King Arthur's. And they had it in stock. And sure enough, they I bought it and they got it to me within a week. Great. Absolutely fantastic. And now I got a, a website. So what? I'm paying a little bit more. So I had been ordering stuff for baking from them on and off ever since this pandemic hit. And lo and behold, I get an email. And you know, Curtis, how they are attempting to divide us. You know, it's Black Lives Matter. It's Antifa. It's now this Equality Act that just passed in the House. They they are dividing us into segments and pitting one part of society against another deliberately. And this is how they're going to control us. You know, if you're not wearing a mask, you're 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 an outlaw. Um, if you're not doing what government tells you to do. You're, you're, you're a pariah, you're a bigot, you're a racist, you're a Nazi, you're whatever they want to call you. So I get this email from King Arthur celebrating black bakers. Um, do you see a problem with that, Curtis? You're celebrating... What were, they, what were they celebrating? Black bakers. No that black was a nationality. You would think they would say Italian bakers, French bakers, uh, Caribbean uh, bakers. uh, I don't know, Puerto Rican or Cuban bakers. But no, they they say black bakers. And I'm like, wait a minute. I I got a problem with it. Do you see see the problem I'm talking about? Oh yeah, I've, I've been seeing those commercials. Um, but see, that's 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 one of the ways they um, propagandize black people's race, and they they instill race. It's a us against them mentality, and, and that's what they do. You know, I mean, as long as it's we, the black people, then you know it's us against the world. That type of thing. They never say we Americans. They don't even say we black Americans. It's just black, black, black. Everything is race, race, race with them. Exactly. So I wrote to uh, King Arthur Baking, which you can contact if you guys want to make any comment. Go to customer care at kingarthurbaking.com and, and make your opinion known. And this is what I sent off to them. Um, they acknowledge they received the email, but they have not responded to it yet. And I asked them, why are you pushing a racial divide? Are we not all bakers? Are we not all in the image of God? Did not Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. extol the content of character, not the color of skin? Which blacks, American, 
Caribbean, numerous tribal ethnic Arabs, Africans, I mean, Arab, Central or South Americans, which lacks is the same thing as saying all whites are a culture. They are not. We are all different, separated by our cultural, regional heritage. Let's center on heritage as in Cuban, Italian, Korean, etc., not the color of skin. If you want to push an ethnicity, why not Nigerian or Kenyan baking or French, Spanish or Norwegian? Think unity, not division by race. Don't fall into the pit of social justice, but seek justice for all. Ask yourself, would you celebrate white bakers? I think not. You're accepting a corporate model that will kill business from those of us who are who the progressives view as less woke demographic. My dear friend Lloyd Marcus coined the term unhyphenated American. Why don't you embrace that in his memory? He gave his life pursuing the desire of seeing the dream of Dr. King comes to fruition. Yet, you will embrace a division dream. Will I stay a customer? I don't know. Will you embrace a racist divide? Or will you embrace unhyphenated American unity? Will you cater to the minority or your base of everyday unhyphenated Americans like me? I don't know if I'll get an answer. Well, you probably will, and it'll be this. Um, Blacks are a special category, so you have to overlook all that other stuff because we have been wrong for over 400 years or whatever, going back to 1691, and that's that's the response you'll get. So, you know, it's like they never got the memorandum that, you know, slavery ended. Back in 1865, they, they still have that 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 mentality that like they still enslaved when they have all the yep. opportunity in the world to to become whoever they want to in America, and that's the thing about it, you know. I mean, how do you explain a Michael Jackson or the the richest woman in America is is a black woman, Oprah? You know, how can you yeah. explain a Tiger Woods? You know. Well, Curtis, um, I do have the phone number for uh, Dr. Record, uh, so I'm going to try to call him live on air. Uh, So, folks, you're going to hear a live on air call, so let's let's give a call out to him because he's probably waiting for us. This is is Block Talk Radio. Thank you for messing up a web screen. And I think we got Dr. Record. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi. Is Hello. Hi there. Is this Andy? Can you hear me? Yes, yeah, can it you is. hear me? Yes, we got you. So, Dr. Great. Bob, welcome to uh, our show. We are having technical difficulties up the wazoo. So I apologize for that, but it's out of my hands. It's from our provider, and they're going to be hearing from me. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to keep the Lord in my heart when I start reaming them a brand new, you know what? <laughs> I understand. Oh, man. Oh, geez. But anyway, welcome here on to Southern Sense. I'm your hostess, Annie, the Radio Chickadee, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. So welcome aboard, sir. And I'm sorry, today is just one of those days, welcome and I'm in one of those I'm, I'm going to be on rants all day today. <laughs> 
hey, look, here's the deal. It either becomes a stepping stone or a stumbling block, and you and Curtis are doing well in making it a stepping stone. So that's good. And keeping our sense of humor, too. <laughs> exactly. Oh, uh, I was just uh, reading to the audience a letter I sent to a, a company I do business with, and um, I Something I've been seeing from the progressive left, from those that are secular, they're dividing our nation uh, and they're doing it by race. And um, I bought from this company during the pandemic because items were flying off the grocery shelf and they had what I needed in stock. And they sent me an email recently that just raised the hackles on my neck. And um, they said, we're celebrating black bakers. And I didn't know black was a uh, at the, uh, Curtis, what was it? A cultural thing. I I thought that you know you had all different types of black. You had Asian black, Arab black, African black, Caribbean black, South American, American. You you blacks live all over the world. So how would you say celebrate black bakers when they definitely would not say we celebrate white bakers? Doesn't no. that bother you that they don't recognize we're all in the image of God? Yes, and they wouldn't say Native American bakers, and we can go on and on. Asian bakers, yeah, you're exactly right, Annie. And and that's what they're doing. Instead of uniting us, instead of saying we're unhyphenated Americans, instead of saying, okay, um, we understand there are cultural differences from your heritage, you know, but instead, in order to get the social justice message that is being put by the left out there and keeping us divided. You know, they succeed when we fight each other. And I think it's gotten to the point. Everyday Americans are starting to say, wait a minute. This is, this is just gone too far. Well, I hope the Americans are going to say that, but uh, if you go back to Saul Alinsky, who wrote on how to, move forward the radical left agenda, he made very clear that uh, divisionary tactics are very key and crucial, and especially along racial and class uh, areas. So the playbook is being followed to the T. That's the unfortunate thing. And actually, um, I watch uh, Newsmax, and they had a clip that it looks like the woke left are starting to be a little less woken because there was this young white woman, obviously a liberal, that was starting to rally, to rail against what she is seeing. And it's like she's saying, wait a minute, you're going too far with pushing this thing about white privilege being less white. And um, uh, someone in our our chat room uh, last week had put up something, and I'm sorry, Sasquatch, if I get this wrong, but he put up like, um, if I be if I become less white, wouldn't that be? Um, oh, uh, oh, I am having a really brain fart. Uh, <laughs> oh, what is the word well, you when you, you try to be something different than your own culture? What was that word, uh, Bigfoot, that you put up there? Please type it in the chat because I am having a major brain fart here. Appropriation. Thank you. Wouldn't that be if you tell me to be less white? Would that not be considered cultural appropriation? <laughs> yeah. It's like becoming less male, less female. I mean, it's it's ridiculous in the process that's being followed. But 
it is sure stirring the demographics of our society, and that's a heartbreak and a tragedy to watch. And what it's doing to families, to friends, to neighborhoods, it's uh, remarkable and sad to watch what's occurring. Well, yeah, I think they went a little bit too far today because the House passed that Equality Act. And yeah. um, it, it doesn't even look anything like what was originally proposed back in 1972. And if you think back to what the original act was, it was like it stated that you cannot uh, discriminate based upon sex. And when you think about how the word was defined as sex back in 1972, it doesn't mean today the same thing. You know, back then you thought sex was male or female. That was it. Today, it's 72 different flavors, including several different ways of being a degenerate. What really disturbs me is that when you read this act, which I had printed out, they talk about sex, uh, inclination. Well, that could be pedophilia, necrophilia, bestiality. It could mean anything. So they just negated thousands of sexual predatory laws in just one fell swoop. Yes, ma'am. You're exactly right. And it is a onslaught attack on religious freedom because of the guidelines, requirements, prohibitions that it carries with it. And it is a straight out assault on anybody who values religious freedom for all faiths because it's going to force decisions on those faiths that a conscience up to this point has not allowed. And I pray to God that somewhere it'll be stopped in the process, even though the House has done what it's done. Well, I, I hope so, because I can see massive lawsuits. I mean, I, I'm sorry, my sexual inclination is pedophilia. So actually now Congress just said that you cannot arrest me for it. So go ahead, you know, um, sex slave trafficking that's your inclination but everything they just did in a in a single pen it's absolutely mind-boggling you know they already had it where that one church in uh, new jersey a couple years back was forced to perform a same-sex marriage on their property because the, the new jersey supreme court ruled against them saying you can't discriminate wait a minute if my faith says Marriage is between one man and one woman. Who are you to tell me to violate my faith? Isn't that the First Amendment? They just knocked out the entire First Amendment. It is indeed, and you are so right on target. But uh, we have gone down a slippery slope of undermining our constitutional foundational peers repeatedly. And this is another significant step in the undermining and destruction of those peers. And God help us if we don't turn the corner. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize for that. <laughs> we still got Dr. Bob? Yep, I'm here. Oh, okay. I apologize. Normally I have the phone turned off, but because of the technical difficulties, I wasn't able to do that. I apologize. Uh, Anyway, go ahead, sir. I was just saying uh, it is another step in undermining the constitutional uh, foundational peers of our nation. And if we don't stop 
the direction we're headed on multiple decisions. Uh, God help our country because we are sequentially throwing off and uh, away the very things that made this country great for so long and that protected freedom. Absolutely, absolutely. So my audience knows who I'm speaking with, Dr. Bob Accord. You founded the Total Life Impact Ministries, and you serve as the founder and chairman with your wife, your lovely wife, uh, Cheryl, uh, who leads as president, um, whether it's through men's conferences, marriage counseling, wild game dinners, you're a big NRA uh, proponent, as well as worship services and other ministries. Uh, People can... uh, check you out uh at uh total life impact i apologize i'm so flabbergasted with the way that today has started <laughs> so, at least people know who you are and there is a link on the show page that people can click on and find out more about your ministries as well as your many books thank you and I had a ton of notes written up for you to ask you questions and stuff. Uh, but one of the things I noted, and I, I, I hope you use this, because you also are a business executive. You're not just, you know, through ministry. You're also a business uh, man uh, with automotive right. and computer and aeronautics. And I made a notation, and I said that you're a car mechanic, but you're also a soul mechanic. <laughs> How do you like great. that? You're a soul mechanic. Uh, you're wonderful, Anna. You're wonderful. Oh, thank you. I'll use that sound bite. <laughs> oh, man. You know, we've, we've had nonstop attacks on our faith. And what really bothers me is with this equality attack, it is a massive rollout against Christianity. Matter of fact, even my discussing it probably here would be somewhere along the way. I'm sure I just violated the legislation. Mm, yeah, probably so, without even knowing it. And, you know, you go back to John Adams, who said that our Constitution was created for a moral and religious uh, people, and it was insufficient for any other. Well, that was true when the Constitution was created, but sadly our country has moved away increasingly from being a moral and religious people. And so... We are desperately in need of reclaiming and returning back to our foundations. And that is really, really an essential issue. Well, you know, in today's society, um, we have what I call the me, myself, and I mentality. You, You don't recognize anyone outside of yourself as being real or relevant. Uh, it is what you do, what feels good, whatever hedonistic thing, it, it's fine. And this Equality Act is a perfect example of that sort of attitude. Whereas in the past, we always believed we needed to strive for something better, making ourselves better. And through that, we aim and look at God as, as right. what we attempt to strive for. We can never be godlike. However, in the me, myself, and I hedonistic attitude, you become the God. And the only other yep. table you worship at is at government that tells you how wonderful and godlike you are, but you still have to eat at my table, serve at my table, which is yep. government, not God. Yep. 
you know, if you go back, Annie and Curtis, to the uh, scripture of Adam and Eve in the garden and their temptation, exactly what you just said, Annie, is exactly what happened. When Eve was tempted, she was tempted to question God. Did God really say? Then contradict God. Well, he didn't say that. And then to replace God. Because his third point is, he knows if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will become like God in the sense that you'll be the one who determines what's right and wrong rather than God determining what the absolutes of right and wrong, uh, good and evil are. And that's exactly the pattern that was used in the record of uh, Genesis and the temptation of the garden, and it's still going on right now, to your point, of whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you the person that determines what's right and wrong, good and bad. Well, we see it throughout history. We see it throughout the Bible. Whenever our society gets to the point in which we are here today, there is a recycling, there is a cleansing that will occur. And, you know, I, I fear that I may end up living through seeing that complete recycling and recleansing. You know, we fled Europe to come to a land yep. that was moral, right. that was just, right. that was free. And we're now going back into the same cycle that we fled from. We see it, you yep. know, Israel. We have seen it throughout all of history and throughout the Bible over and over and over again. We are getting to that tipping point where we're at yes, the we top are. and we're going to go falling all the way down to the bottom. Yeah, and the tragic part is that when God disciplines a nation, or even a step further, when God comes to the point of judging a nation, there are sadly a lot of collateral damage issues. It's not just the people who by their choices and decisions, led the nation into a point of uh, wrong decisions and therefore the discipline of God or the judgment of God. It's a lot of good, innocent people who get hurt and uh, have to pay a significant price because of the direction a nation has taken. So the sad part is there are so many, not just the ones who are guilty of taking us off course, but the ones who innocently uh, were along the process, watching the process happen, praying the process wouldn't happen, crying out for the process to stop, but they still get caught in the issue of discipline and judgment because of what leaders in a nation did or did not do. And I say repeatedly, Curtis and Annie, as I speak across the country, Here's the reality of life, whether it be an individual, a couple, a business, a church, a state, or a country. The decisions you make will set a definitive direction you take, and the direction set by your decisions will lead you inevitably to a destination. And that is true at the individual level all the way to the national level. Yeah, that's a huge amen. You know, um, someone was arguing for reparations with me, and I says, wait a minute. You know, I, I can pull the argument that, hey, I'm only second-generation American. My family had nothing to do with slavery. However, think about this. 
God doesn't make mistakes. He chose me to be here at this point in time, and I need to recognize that I have a purpose, his purpose. So whatever I do from the moment that I am responsible for myself 100%, those decisions I am responsible for. So don't ask me to pay for what someone else did. Would you, if you found out that a couple of generations back that maybe your grandfather committed murder, are you going to serve his sentence? Are you going to pay the reparations for the damage he did generations before you? So why would you ask me to do the very same thing? I'm responsible for my actions. I will answer for them. Question. Great question. And uh, Annie and Curtis, I've heard and, and seen those who say, well, even the Bible says that what is done in one generation goes on to the second, third, and fourth, and fifth generation. I, I rarely hear anybody refer to Ezekiel 18 where it says, uh, why do you say constantly that this will go on to multiple generations when what really happens is when a father or a husband or a man makes a decision, he answers for that decision. If his son follows in that same decision, then the son will also answer for his wrong, just as the father had to. But if the third generation, the grandson, as it were, decides to change the course, he shall not answer for the decision of the father or the son. Why doesn't anybody bring that up? See, it, it says, every- wait a minute, they're breaking the, exactly what you said. I answer for the decisions that I make, and I should, but I don't yeah. answer for the decisions for a great-great-grandfather. Well, I also turn around and say, hey, listen, there's an Old Testament for a reason and a New Testament. Christ gave his life. <laughs> to redeem all of our sins. So whatever happened before, we are forgiven. It is what we do here and now, today forward. And you can recite anything you want out of the Old Testament as much as you want. But remember, he gave his life to redeem us from the Old Testament into the New Testament, our New Testament today. And if you're going to use Old Testament, don't just proof text it. Don't pull something out of context. (laughs) that you use just to justify your point. I saw the other day where Herschel Walker, football great, said, think back how long ago slavery ended. And he said, therefore, the people of today in the generation in which I live should not be responsible for reparations of what happened decades and decades and decades ago. So here's a very respected, very knowledgeable, very accomplished African-American leader who says, wait a minute, this is really off course. So uh, I couldn't agree with more of what you said. Well, I want to leave you with a little joke. I told it to my mom, and she could mess up a joke real easy. But uh, this was a really cute one I heard because, you know, with God, anything and everything is possible. And this little girl was learning in school and her teacher was talking about whales. And the little girl goes, you know, teacher, um, whales can swallow people, you know. And 
the teacher goes, no, the whales can't swallow people. That's impossible. She goes, yes, they can. And the teacher goes, well, how do you know? Because whales can't swallow people because their throats are too small. They get the plankton in. A human being cannot fit into the, that whale's throat. And the little girl is insistent, yes, it, whales can swallow people. She goes, how do you know? Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Well, how do you know? She goes, well, when I go to heaven, I'll ask them how. And the teacher turns around. Whales cannot swallow people. And how do you know Jonah went to heaven and Jonah did not go to hell? And the little girl looks at the teacher. She goes, well, teacher, when you go down there, you can ask Jonah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Clever little girl. A clever little girl. So with God, all things are possible. So I have faith. I have hope. Um, but we've got to keep on fighting the fight. and We've got to be willing to have our voices heard. If we don't, then we're not in the fight. Yep. Right. Well, I've and this is, I was just going to say this is a key where moms and dads need to take a lead and not depend upon the church or the school to do what moms and dads are responsible to God to do, and that's train and raise up their own kids with the morals, the beliefs, the principles that are absolutely essential and in line, the scriptural truth on which this nation was founded. That is uh, incontrovertible evidence. It is how we came from, and it is who we are. Well, Dr. Bob, I'm glad that we finally got you on. It was a couple of tries, but, you know, third try is, is the good thing. Think of it the Trinity, you know, one, two, three. <laughs> so. Well, it's, it's good to be with you. I'd love to come back and talk with you, especially about dads, um, because that's a, that's a huge thing, and it plays big time into what we have just been talking about in our drift for our, from our society. And a study that was just done in December, Annie, really shows that an, there's an undercurrent of a breakdown, especially with dads in our nation, that is dominoing into what we're seeing in our cities, uh, the unrest, et cetera. And that's a real, real concern. I know not only of my heart, but of yours, Curtis's, and many others. Well, we just lost Curtis, so I'm going to try to get him back in, So, which means I'm going to have to call him directly like I did you. So I apologize for the technical <laughs> But like I said, it's Friday the 13th times two. Today is the 26th, so 13 twice is 26, so I'm being double whammy. <laughs> so. There you go. There you go. All right, Dr. Bob, and as I said, people can find you at Total Life Impact. There's a link on our show page that they can click on and go to time in, uh, timeministries.com. God bless her. Great. You too, Annie. Bye-bye now. Take care. All right. Check it out. Dr. Bob McCoy. Let me see if I can get my co-host back in here. And Curtis, I am so sorry. I hope you're still listening in. I am right now dialing you through. If I can. What the heck happened to your phone number? Oh, man, Curtis. Your phone number hasn't even shown up. I I hate this cell phone. I got to pull your phone number up off of my cell phone. I don't have it memorized. Shame on me. But let me see if I can pull you up here. Curtis, 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 Curtis. Uh, let me get your phone numbers here. No, 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 no. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. Uh, Jesus. Uh, view contact. Uh, Curtis, I'll get you up here in a second. 
All right. Let's see if I got you here. One. Area code. Dialing area code. Dialing prefix. Dialing phone number. And hopefully this will get us back with Curtis. I I cannot believe how bad this is today. And I don't hear the phone ringing. Uh, Because I've got an extra one in there. Let's try this again, Curtis. I apologize. I got fat fingers here. Try this one more time. Take one off. I think I was dialing an international number. Here we go. Hello. One. If you're calling about the historical prom cards. Uh, no, I got his name and a phone number. I, I'll get back to you. Uh, no, I, I, I got his voicemail. All right, so I dialed the wrong number, Chris. Let me try this once again. Oh, Mama Mia, no Sharia. Here we go. Let's try again. Change the last what numbers? Uh, here we go, and we got to do 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 do. Try this once again, Chris. We'll get this. We'll get this right. We'll we'll get this going. Two ringy dingies. Three ringy dingies. Otherwise, I'm doing the show. Okay. Greetings. This is Carolyn. I'm unable to take your call. No, 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 no. Why am I getting all Carolyn's phone numbers? I'm not getting yours, Curtis. What am I doing wrong? Let's try this. Oh, uh, let's try this again. Uh, Airy code. I hope everyone's enjoying Annie Make a Fool of Herself uh, because uh, she has no idea what she's doing. Uh, that goes in the one more number. And let's hope this is the one to go through. The number you dialed is not a working number. Please check the... All right, that number... That number is not a working number. <laughs> Curtis, I'm going to try again. Let's see if we can do this. Uh, this is really not my idea of a fun afternoon. So anything that can go wrong is going wrong. Curtis, I'm dying the number that ends in 300. So I hope if you're listening in, uh, I'm typing to you, Curtis. Here we go again. And yep. we got Curtis now. Finally. Ha, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We finally got you back in, Curtis. I don't I don't know what's going on here, but anything that can go wrong is going wrong. So let me just put aside Dr. Bob and we're gonna have to try with a live call direct dialing directly from the studio out to him instead of what you were doing because you obviously got kicked off. So in the interim, yep. let's try him. All right, dial in the area code. Let's get uh, the number. Mm-hmm. Okay, and try this and see if we can get our guest in here. Because, man, this talk about a messed up. All right, let's try this. Hello? Hi, is this Michael Beatrice? This is Michael. Hello? Hi, Michael. You're here live on the air with Sudden Sense. I have to apologize because we have such technical difficulty. We're not dialing out to our guests like we normally do, so we had to dial you live because our studio uh, 
company that provides the program is messing up left and right. So welcome to Friday the 13th times two. <laughs> so welcome to Southern Sense. Thank you. Oh, I'm your hostess, the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. And oh, my goodness. I, it, you know, I, I think the company that is running this website I'm hosting off of may have been put together by uh, Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio. (laughs) I thought you were going to say something like, I thought they were put together by a bunch of high school kids, and then I was going to make a joke and say, well, that seems like how the CDC is run lately, too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, man. It's a crazy world out there. You know, today they passed the Equality Act over in Congress in the House, and it's going over to the Senate. But it, what I left New York. I moved out of New York. Our final day there was Super Bowl Sunday in 2001. Go Ravens. Um, and I left New York. I, I thought it was messed up back then. I never foresaw that state, the Empire State, become exactly that, a private empire for de Blasio and Cuomo. What is going on with you people up there? Yeah, uh, so it's interesting because with, when you look, first off, you look at the nursing home, call it a scandal, but you know, for the people that have followed this data, like, like me and, and, and certainly others, um, New York had early on reported uh, 29% of their total COVID deaths uh, attributed to nursing homes. We knew that was bad data. It had to be about 60% based on what we saw in Pennsylvania and, and other states that had similar waves. And, and um, you know, when you've got a median age uh, hovering close to 80, and all the New York deaths, uh, those victims had uh, three-plus comorbidities or underlying conditions. <clears throat> those are typically people that would be in a care facility, and so that was never good data. Um, and so I'm, I wasn't surprised at all by this. I'm, I'm surprised that there would have even been a cover-up. I, I don't. I think there was a lot of forgiveness for any decisions that were made um, back in uh, March and, and even April. And so I'm surprised. Any effort at all would have been would have gone into, um, uh, you know, kind of misrepresenting those numbers. You know, um, I I have a dear friend of mine. Um, I went to a school with him, and he was such a sweet person. He would wait for me uh, on the main road in our town and help carry my books to school. You know, I guess he had a crush on me. His first name is also Michael. But it broke my heart when I heard that he lost his father and then his mother-in-law to COVID. And he still lives up in Long Island. And I hear story after story from friends of mine up there that have had someone come down with COVID or, you know, had someone pass away from COVID. Uh, And you're a lockdown state. And what really floors me is Mayor de Blasio, as well as Governor Cuomo, both openly acknowledged that the majority of people that catch COVID are people that are in cell, in quarantine, that are in lockdown. Hello, doesn't it occur to you that you're actually recycling the virus through your ventilation system where it's better if you're out in the fresh air and bringing the fresh air into the house with you? When they admit that yeah. they know these are killing people and they do exactly the wrong thing. Well, I think there's two points there that, that I can make. One is... Um, uh, protecting long-term care facilities, uh, I'm being sincere in this, it must be a lot harder than it looks because um, long after there was very high awareness that long-term care facilities were, 
you know, sort of hotbeds for this because you've got very, very vulnerable people. And I heard one woman who's lost her grandfather to this, you know, made a comment like they were sitting ducks, and that's probably accurate. And uh, but um, even even as as recent as um, uh, the beginning of this year, early January, we were losing 10,000 people a week in care facilities to COVID with very high awareness at this point all over the place. So it's, it, it simply must be very hard to insulate. There's also a very high pr proportion of long-term care facility deaths that are in like two-star facilities, basically, you know, cheaper facilities uh, with, uh, with uh, a very high ratio of um, uh, nurses or people that are working in that facility to the patients, and so um, that was one thing that was interesting. But but um, the other thing is, uh, to your point on uh, locking down, uh, transmitting COVID. I mean, my son goes away to college, and he's in he goes to school in uh, in Oklahoma, and Oklahoma is actually rated number one for the least stringent. People always talk about Florida and South Dakota, including me. I talk about those states a lot. But according to the stringency test, Oklahoma is actually rated number one. Um, and my son and his roommates, they're, they're uh, uh, 21, they all got COVID. One got it, and they all got it within a couple days. And so, you know, five kids got it the same week, and they quarantined for 10 days. And so there, I, I think the real takeaway on this is, is, is that you can't avoid it, right? If lockdowns work then you would see places like California and New York and Michigan and Illinois uh, and others, but you would see those states doing a lot better in terms of COVID performance than looser restriction states like the Dakotas in Oklahoma and Florida and Texas and, you know, there's others. Uh, and there's just no correlating data between the lockdown states, the tight restrictions with better COVID performance. There's just no data to support it. That's why this thing is so crazy a year later. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I'm here in South Carolina, and uh, we're um, we, we have kind of like lax, but it goes county by county, town by town, so there's no uniform. So you see certain areas doing better than others, and there's 46 counties uh, in here in South Carolina, and out of 46, we sit at number eight. You know, with the laxer rules. You know, I'm someone that cannot wear a mask. I use a shield instead, but even then I have problems. So, you know, we're, we're finding that even the fact that masks are not really working. I watch the way people handle their masks and wear them, and I'm going, oh, my goodness. You're just asking for, for problems. Yeah, uh, I mean, if masks work, I, I've got, you know, I wrote, I wrote quite a bit on this, and, and I'm actually writing a second book with a whole chapter on both mask history, you know, kind of what was the data before COVID, and then what are the results of it. But uh, if masks, there's really a simple, like if you, you need to zoom out, everybody needs to zoom out, including our politicians, particularly our leaders, but uh, there's not a single place in the world that wearing a mask has suppressed the virus to the point where you're not getting um, cases, hospitalizations, and deaths, for sure in the United States. We've got really good mask adherence. Like I live in Texas, which is considered fairly open, but we have a mask mandate. You can't, you can't go into uh, any indoor place, uh, restaurants, uh, a mall, uh, grocery store, Costco, whatever, without wearing a mask. And so uh, the adherence, and I know for a fact that uh, from friends in California, that uh, as an, just an example, um, people wear them all the time outside, which is really insane. But oh, the I, point I, there crazy. is that, <laughs> I that I but the not. point there is that 
if masks work, you would see at least one state or community with really good mask um, adoption, uh, you would see them have suppressed cases and, and they'd sort of be flatlined. That's not the truth. These curves look identical. When you look at them regionally, regionally to the country, um, you know, the southeast, the northeast, et cetera, the upper Midwest, um, you know, people were blasting on South Dakota uh, and North Dakota to an extent too uh, back in uh, November and December because they were getting hammered. Well, what they didn't talk about was every other state around them was getting hammered. You could overlay the curves one on top of the other. When this thing comes in, it just comes in like a little hurricane. It's, it peaks out in hospitalizations for, um, you know, there's a rush for about four to six weeks. And other than that four to six week period, you wouldn't even know COVID existed. Where I live in Dallas, you would never know COVID existed the whole time. We'd be looking around thinking, God, nobody seems to be getting sick, and yet we're locked down for a year. That's weird. Yeah. My sister just moved from New York to Georgia, and I went down to meet her when they moved into their new house, which is just over the border from me, which is easy to go back and forth. And they don't wear masks anywhere. You walk into the gas station, the store, or anywhere. We sat down in a restaurant. You know, the staff were wearing them, but we walked in and no one said a word to us, you know, no mask. And you don't see anyone really getting sick in Georgia. The numbers are very, very low. But let me introduce you to our listeners because I called you in and normally I do an intro and I have to apologize with the studio, the way it screwed up, messed up <laughs> my pattern. So our guest is Michael Beatrice. He is the author uh, of COVID-19 lockdowns on trial. You're also a researcher and uh, you provide with a fast paced journey through the pandemic and it's collateral damage of the lockdowns. Uh, people can get your book over at uh, Amazon. And as you said, you're coming up with a second book soon. That's correct. Yeah, it'll be out this summer. Uh, yeah, that's correct. And I've written a number of op-eds. It's really funny. Last week I wrote an op-ed, uh, for rationalground.com, and it was about the cruise ships because that was really the thing that got me started on COVID in the first place, on doing the research. Before I even thought of a book, I was just doing it recreationally. And it was the cruise ships um, that uh, piqued my interest in this. And when you looked at the cruise ship data, you know, the first, excuse me, the second one was the Grand Princess. I'd actually been on that ship, so that was interesting. And when it ported in, if you remember this, uh, it was kind of covered like it was the Bronco chase you know, going back to uh, the first week of March. And when it ported in, nothing really happened. So so I just sat on that and thought that was interesting. And then when the Imperial College released their model uh, predicting over 2 million deaths by last summer to COVID-19, I thought that doesn't make a lot of sense. And so I took the assumptions they made in that model and applied them to the cruise ships. We should have had 155 deaths on the cruise ships, and we only had 10. Anyway, so I wrote about this in my book, um, and then I wrote an op-ed piece, and it came out last week, and uh, it caught a little bit of fire on Twitter, and it caught so much fire, uh, Ben Shapiro retweeted the article out, and then it drove so much traffic to rational ground that it crashed the site, which was interesting. (laughs) But the point there is that a lot of people found that really interesting information where, you know, you sort of make these assumptions because I'm so close to it that everybody knows how, how, you know, the lunacy that goes with us. And yet a lot of people really, they don't understand or they're just not aware of early on, I called the article original sin, but early on there was no way. I mean, COVID-19 is real. It's, a re- it's real and it is a pandemic. But all the uh, mitigation tactics that 
the CDC and the WHO had recommended prior to COVID in the event of a, an influenza pandemic, they were all basically predicated on children being the number one sources and spreaders and victims uh, of, this, of, of a pandemic. If there's one good thing that COVID did, I mean, if there's one gift we got, it's that kids really aren't transmitters, nor are they statistically vulnerable. I mean, you might have an outlier, but by and large, kids just aren't, aren't they're not transmitting this and they're not getting sick from it. And, and so <laughs> the craziness that goes with us having closed schools, and schools are done this year. So this year is over academically, this, this school year. We're just crossing our fingers that the fall happens. But um, there's, I mean, there's just no data to support school closings, and there was never data to support school closings. We knew that from Italy, and we knew it from the cruise ships before we ever locked down. Yeah, and, and we see schools open where there's no unions. The schools that remain closed are all union-controlled schools. So you wonder, what is the true motive? Is it more power and money for unions and union members, or is it caring about the kids? Yeah, they're getting a lot of bailout money. There's no doubt about that. But it's, it's very puzzling because uh, there was a great, great piece that, that uh, this, this um, mom from Oakland wrote. And she is a self-proclaimed Democrat, uh, and she even called herself a liberal progressive. But she's going crazy over the school thing. And one of the lines that I'll never forget is she said, when did the Republicans become the party of children over the Democrats? And it's a very puzzling thing to me because you've got a lot of, I mean, the, the people that are getting most affected by the lockdowns and by the school closings are traditional Democrat constituents. And it's, it's largely, you know, Democrats that are, that are leading this. And so, you know, now you've got a situation where Chicago and, and this is crazy, Chicago and San Francisco are suing their own ISDs to go back to school, to get back in the classrooms. When would you ever think that you'd see Chicago and San Francisco suing their own school districts? I mean, this, Annie, this is like the twilight zone we're living in. It, it, it's something. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it's something. i got to tell you. And today's Friday the 13th times, too. But, you know, we were talking earlier about mass. I was going to add. Go ahead, Curtis. I was going to add that, I was gonna add that here in Florida, our schools went back to – our kids went back to school. Um, at the beginning of the school year last August, and there has been no increase in the COVID um, virus um, as far as deaths were concerned. Of course, you're going to get a number of people get the cases, but that's that's I mean that's to be expected as as with the common flu, you know, cold or the, you know flu. But um, there's there's been no no detrimental um, negative results of our kids going back to school here in Florida, and you think the other states would take notice. Right, and and by the way, there's not a situation in the world where a school opening um, has has resulted in anything adverse with respect to COVID. But I'll tell you one thing: like even Florida, right? Florida's got 99 point something percent of its schools open, meaning available for face to face. But only about half of the kids are actually going face to face, even in Florida. And in Texas, where I am, that number is a little less than 50 percent. So, sort of what what there's a little bit of more craziness that goes on because even though the schools are open, half the kids aren't going. And so the teachers are, are required, even in those situations, take Florida, they're teaching to a laptop. And so 
even the kids that are in class are getting a fractured education. I mean, I know kids here in Texas that are going to class, but the teachers are teaching to to their laptop and they're like, this is stupid. Like I might as well opt out next quarter and go remote because this is a joke. Uh, and so this school year is pretty much over uh, and, and we're crossing our fingers that, you know, that everything resumes normal in the fall. Well, you know, one of the reasons I believe that a lot of kids aren't going to school is because they have Democrat parents and they really believe that, you know, sending their kids to school is a, a death sentence. Yeah, you know, I think it's a it's a one of the there's a number of areas that the media has failed us. I mean, as well as our political leaders, but you know the, the you know the, the the intrinsic role of the media is kind of like what you guys do um, is is to keep everything sort of honest, right, and challenge challenge uh, some of the decisions that are made. The media has really uh, perpetuated this fear of COVID, uh, and if there's if there's parent, I mean, look, if you've got a parent. Uh, you know, a, a school-age child who lives with, you know, whose parents have, you know, two or three comorbidities, right? They're, let's say they're obese and they've got hypertension, for example, severely obese with hypertension. Uh, and, and so they don't want to send their kid to school to get it and potentially bring it home. That's real. That's a, that's a legitimate thing. Those situations are about 5% of all kids, statistically. About 5% of all school-age kids live with people that would be that would fall into the at-risk category for COVID. You don't make a public policy decision for the 5%. You make it for the 95% and then you figure something out for the other five. But uh, that just isn't where we've landed. No, it, it's, they're looking for a utopian society where one size fits all. And that's not how mankind is built. Yeah, it's a great it's a great phrase you just use the one size fits all because one of the things I've consistently spoken about and written about is we've applied these one size fits all uh, lockdown measures, what they call NPIs, they're non pharmaceutical interventions. That's the clinical term for this, and so we apply these like sort of peanut butter spread across the whole population, but the whole population isn't really at risk. Um, I mean, if you took if you just protected long-term care facilities, and again, I'm conceding that must be really hard to do because I think there's, by now there's a huge effort to do that and has been for months and it still hasn't worked. But if you could protect long-term care facilities and sort of bubble them out and insulate them from COVID, you probably wouldn't even know that COVID existed. That's how many people have died that are elderly with, with um, multiple underlying conditions. If you took that slice of the COVID fatalities out of it, I'm not sure we'd even know that COVID existed. We'd think it was a really bad flu season. I've had this discussion with a bunch of ER docs over the, across the country over the last few months. Uh, you'd know something was going on, right, really bad flu. You wouldn't know it was a pandemic, though, because it sweeps in. It's, it's going to last about a month. But, again, if you pulled those, the vulnerable population out of it, we probably wouldn't know anything was going on. Well, then you have to also ask yourself, you know, if you if you go based upon that, ask yourself what is the increase in deaths by cancer, uh, suicide, drug and alcohol overdoses? Um, what is the increase in that? Uh, increase in domestic right. violence, in domestic violence deaths. Um, what is that increase? Increase in crime. What are the increases so, in number compared to pre-pandemic? Right. Some of those numbers are going to be, you know, they'll, they'll take a, a few years to vet out, particularly the cancer diagnoses and things like that. Um, one thing we do know is a snapshot of last year 
is uh, the official number is we were we had about 350,000 excess deaths last year, and uh, 100,000 of those were not COVID. They were people that they didn't test for COVID, nor were they in those those um, uh, in the at-risk categories. Meaning, like the highest proportion of excess deaths was actually people 26 to 44. That those aren't COVID deaths, um, and so. Uh, what we've, you've really got is you've got about 250,000 extra excess deaths from COVID and about 100,000 uh, that are, we attribute to the lockdowns. If you sort of figure you can take the 100 off the 250, if you follow me, right, because the lockdown deaths, if we didn't lock down, wouldn't have happened. Um, then you're at 150. Then you're at exactly twice the flu season uh, four years ago. I'm not minimizing that. That's a, That's still real. Is it real to shut down 330 million people and, and 50 million kids out of class? It just doesn't. It just doesn't. No, and they had the death toll clock that they were saying, oh, we passed half a million. But how much of that is a real true number? Right. Uh, so based on all the samplings that we see and, and samplings of death certificate matching, things like that, it seems like it's around uh, – you know, 33 to 38% overstated, meaning a little over a third of those aren't real COVID-19 deaths. And so it's still a real number, right? I mean, if you're talking 300,000 deaths from COVID, that's, I'm not a COVID denier. I lost a family member in a care facility to it. So, I mean, it's real. It just, is it real enough or broad enough to do sweeping lockdowns? I mean, when the CDC and the WHO recommended in their guidelines um, before COVID, what to do in a, in a pandemic. I touched on a little this earlier. They recommended, in a worst-case scenario, one of them recommended four weeks of, of closed schools. The other one said 12 in a Spanish flu-level pandemic, which we are not in. We are not close to a Spanish-level flu. The Spanish flu in today's numbers would have killed 1.8 million people. Uh, and so mm -hmm. we will we will be substantially below that. And so, um, like, there's no part of that playbook that said, well, we should keep schools closed for a year and a half. I, I mean, I I don't know how history is going to remember this. Um, how yeah, I mean, that's really the reason that I wrote the book in the first place was to get this documented so that um, so so there would be a you know a history book of it. Well, you got to remember also during the Spanish flu, we had the World War One. Great war was going on. There were no lockdowns. There was no mandatory masks. Actually, that's not quite accurate. There, there were some lockdowns. Uh, a number of cities locked down. They had varying mitigations. There was a study um, that I actually just read last week. Um, they they did a survey, not a, sur a live survey because it was 100 years ago, but they, they pulled data. Um, out of 43 cities, a number of them did have mitigations. Like St. Louis had mask mandates. They canceled large events. Um, San Francisco had, uh, in the first wave, uh, in the first season of, of uh, the Spanish flu hitting, they had mask mandates and they canceled large events. <clears throat> the second time around, people had a little bit of lockdown fatigue, quit wearing masks. Um, but... Uh, but they did have they did have mitigations back then. Uh, it was pretty interesting to read historically how some of this originated. Um, but the question is, did any of it work? Right? I mean, 
I mean, there are some lockdown measures that, or mitigation measures that make sense, right? I mean, canceling large events, there's there's a little bit of reality to that one. I mean, you could kind of get behind um, the idea of when it rolls into a city or a community or a region of the country, um, canceling out large events. Like I was talking to some people from Rational Ground. These are some of the smartest people in the country analyzing this data. And I was asking them just last week, if they had to think back of any single super spreader event in the U.S., like a real one, not the stuff the media talks about, well, like a real one. And the only thing we could all come up with is potentially Mardi Gras last year because uh, Louisiana got hit early and hard, New Orleans did, and it wasn't, it wasn't similar geographically to the other parts of the country, primarily the Northeast and Michigan uh, or Detroit that got hit. And so, again, some of that stuff is real. You could do some mitigations. I'm not – I don't think it should have been a free-for-all. Um, I just think we've gone way, way overboard. I think so, too. Uh, people can find you where? Uh, the book's available, COVID-19 Lockdowns on Trials at Barnes & Noble uh, and, uh, and Amazon. And you can look my name up, Michael Beatrice, on Twitter. Well, Michael, thank you so much. It has been a, such a pleasure. I want to welcome you back uh, at a future date because there's so much more to talk, talk about. There's talk about, you know, impeaching Governor Cuomo, uh, possibly <laughs> an FBI investigation into the nursing home deaths. Uh, I, I still say he should be brought up on charges for mass murder. Uh, I doubt that would happen. Uh, but it looks like uh, de Blasio and Cuomo fell out of love recently. <laughs> I don't know what it happened It does on seem, that seem one. like that. Yeah, yeah. De Blasio's gone, so he's gone anyway. Uh, his term is up, but Cuomo's—he'll probably. I, I don't think Cuomo's ever going to recover from this one. Uh, you've got Democrats that are turning on him a little bit, and he's probably a little bit of damaged goods, and he didn't have enough political, enough overall capital to weather this. So he's prob- his career is probably sealing down. Yeah, it probably is. Well, Michael, I want to thank you so much for joining us, and God bless you. Keep up the good work, sir. Thank you. You guys have a great weekend. You too. All right. Michael Beatrice, check him out. Uh, COVID-19 is his book, and a new one is coming out very soon. So as it looks like, Curtis, we've got to do everything the backwards way. So let me dial out to our next guest, and hopefully he'll pick up. Okay. Here we go. Let's Why is this? There we go. There we go. Here we go again. And we're dialing at... Hello, this is Steve. Steve, uh, this is Ann from Southern Sense uh, Talk Radio. How are you today? I'm okay. How are you? Right. I have to apologize. We have to do a little everything a little bit different because our studio system is fouled up. And as I'm telling you, everyone, today okay. is Friday the 13th times two. So you're actually on the air live. <laughs> so thank oh, you for joining us. <laughs> Like I said, we we have to do workarounds. You've got a fantastic book out that uh, really, I actually used part of it in the title of our show, which is Too Woke, with double question marks. Uh, It's titled The Dictatorship of Woke Capital, How Political Correctness Captured Big Business. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I I started reading this, and I make notes. I, I Actually, I'm starting to like electronic copies because then I can highlight and I don't have to handwrite notes out. But I barely got through the first three chapters without having almost every single page marked with something, some comment on it. You have broken down the system from its onset 
and up through to what is happening today, especially with the Equality Act being passed in the House today. Talk about a two-woke yeah. society. Yes. Well, there's no question um, that uh, we're moving in the wrong direction uh, with respect to our uh, collective societal grasp on reality. You know, um, I could ask you why you wrote the book, but it's kind of like a little obvious uh, where we're seeing that people are being canceled out simply for saying that you've got a college student recently suspended. You've got a college professor recently suspended because of a tweet uh, saying that there is only two sexes, one man, one woman. And by simply saying that, you get canceled. Yeah. it's uh, There's... Um we've we've lost our collective minds uh in this country um and and as you say uh, there's a history behind this this didn't just happen uh and it's not just going to go away this is part of a process that's been underway for uh at least a century an understatement at least a century and uh, it, it goes all the way back uh to uh German philosophy and the idea that man can achieve utopia. Right. Right. Yeah, uh, that's, you know, I, I, the way I start the book, uh, the introdu- there's an introductory chapter. And then when I get into the meat of the history of what's happened here, uh, I say um, very clearly that um, all of the West's current ills probably can be traced all the way back to the Enlightenment. Uh, We're taught in school that the Enlightenment was a fantastic, uh, wonderful uh, watershed in man's history, uh, but that's not the way it's it's played out uh, in Western civilization over the last 250 years. Um, Specifically, uh, the belief that the old moral order can be destroyed uh, and then simply replaced with a new moral order based on you know, whatever we choose, uh, based on this subjective notion of reason, uh, has been the cause of literally hundreds of millions of deaths uh, since the French Revolution. That's, that, that is an amazing thing. You know, you, you center on the business world, and you talk about a movement called ESG. Um, can you explain what that is? Okay. ESG uh, stands for Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance Investing. Uh, And uh, in the investment world, uh, ESG is the hottest commodity there is uh, around. Um, Tens, hundreds of billions of dollars over the last several years have been poured into ESG investing. And what ESG investments are, are... um, Investments in funds uh, and uh, in specific uh, companies that will either practice uh, environmental and social justice or will force other companies to practice environmental and social justice. Uh, so this is this has become a very significant, very widespread. Uh, issue within the investment community. Um, As I say, this is the hottest trend there is, is this idea that we need all companies uh, to behave in a certain way, 
uh, and that we need those companies that are not behaving in that way to be pressured into doing so. So, you know, another form of cancel culture. So if if yeah. you don't agree with what a minority of people say, you know, you have to cater to this segment of society or you have to have this sort of environmental social justice or, you know, even something like PETA uh, going after you because it's unethical treatment of animals. How dare you eat meat? Um, they can then destroy you and your business if you don't toe the line of the minority. Correct. Um, and, and, and the thing is, they're not going to destroy your business. That's, that's what's most insidious about this. Uh, that used to be the case uh, that when people invested uh, what was called socially responsible investing, people would pick uh, companies and funds that aligned with their personal values. Uh, and if you ran a company that didn't align with their values, they either sold your stock uh, or they never bought it in the first place. Um, and, and so you did what you do, and they did what they do. Um, what ESG has done, however, has, has made it compulsory uh, to comply uh, with the activists. Um, the largest asset management firms uh, in, in the country um, – particularly the largest passive asset management firms, are very firmly involved in ESG, uh, and specifically right now with respect to climate change and what they call sustainability. And they take the power that they are given by normal, average, everyday investors who just want to make a return on their, their investments. They take those funds and they leverage them to force companies to comply with their political wishes. And if the companies do not comply, they have enough power and enough leverage uh, that they can work the system, uh, the shareholder proposal system in particular, um, to force either a change in management at the company, a change in board of directors at the company, or a change in corporate bylaws, thereby forcing the company to comply with their, with their politics. So if you start a company, um, and you build it from scratch, and you take it public, and you make money, and you make you know the best darn widgets in the world uh, that everybody wants, but you're not in alignment with their political values, they will come in, uh, and they will take your company away from you. They will replace you uh, if you're the chairman of the board. They will replace you if you're the CEO, because they can and because they want to. Well, we, we see that constantly lately. And it's become so broad and so public that by making a statement that could be misinterpreted in myriad numbers of ways, but it's a completely innocent statement, they can actually end up destroying you and then controlling your company. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is this is a very um, unforgiving uh, ideology. Uh, this is an ideology that lacks. Um, mercy. It's an ideology that claims to be based uh, on empathy, uh, but which lacks uh, empathy for anybody who strays from uh, the party line. And it is getting worse and worse. Um, when I worked for American Express back in the 80s, I began to see this seep into the corporate world back then. And it was rather insidious because at that point, they would encourage us uh, to donate to various charities. They would say, hey, listen, if you donate X amount of dollars, we'll match them 
to this list of charities, and they would hand you a list. And as I went through the list, I'd go left-leaning, 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 left Oh, here's a conservative one. And, of course, they would always try to drive you towards left-leaning charities. And I, I felt them trying to control our, our that way. They were trying to mold us and change us into following this leftist ideals. I guess they wanted to present a corporate image united of us being woke. And that was back in the yeah. early to mid-'80s. Yeah, that, that, I'm not surprised by that. Um, one of the anecdotes uh, that I tell in, in the book, in the chapter about Amazon, is about the Amazon Smile program. Um, if you don't want know what Amazon Smile is, Amazon Smile is a way for you to use a portion uh, of your purchases to be donated to the nonprofit of your choice. It's a great idea, uh, and uh, you know a lot of nonprofits uh, make considerable amount of revenue from from the, the Amazon Smile program. Um, but what Amazon has done is they've put the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, in charge of deciding who is and who is not a legitimate nonprofit. Now, the SPLC is very radically <laughs> anti-conservative, uh, in addition to being a, a pretty massively corrupt organization in its own right. Um, and uh, they're in charge of determining whether or not you're worthy uh, of receiving um, any sort of benefit from Amazon Smile. So that, that that's you know a contemporary example of what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, you're, in your book, um, I love the way you showed how we morphed from uh, the Enlightenment up until what has occurred going into the 60s and 70s. And having grown up during those times, I loved it when you put in the line from that, hey, what's that sound? Everyone look what's going around. Uh, <laughs> and I couldn't get the song out of my head. Thank you very much. Uh, but yeah, sorry about it, that. It, as I said to a previous guest, it has become now, our society has become what I call the me, myself, and I, the hedonism of I am the center. I am God now. You are just proliferary. Uh, you're, you're not as real as I am. So my needs, my wants, desires, precedence over anything and everything else. But yet, yet we will then cede to government. And whatever government dictates is okay, then that's all right. But not what, not what is morally right, but what I feel is right. Yeah, there's, there's. Um, I don't get into it uh, in this book, um, but one of Karl Marx's uh, greatest fears uh, was that uh, his friend turned enemy um, Max Stirner uh, would be right, and, and that Marx would be wrong. And what Stirner said was that uh, the masses didn't want uh, this new quasi-religious state imposed upon them. They wouldn't be any happier under Marx's uh, utopian state than they were under the oppression of, you know, uh, the bourgeoisie. What Stirner said was that people just want to satisfy their egos. He was known as, as an egoist, and he said people just want personal creature comforts. They want to take care of themselves. They con they're concerned only with themselves, and, and they won't accept this, uh, you know, the, the type of control 
uh, and demands made upon them by uh, the Marxist utopia. Uh, and it turns out that Stirner was right. Um, Stirner was absolutely spot on. We live in an egoist society uh, in which most of what passes for leftism or um, uh, you know, sort of charitable uh, left-wing policy is in fact about creating middle-class entitlements and making life more comfortable for the middle class. Um, it, it has nothing whatsoever to do uh, with uh, revolution or uh, control of the means of production or any of that. It, it's all about advancing a cultural agenda and a personal uh, aura of comfort. And it's a false comfort. It's an absolute false well, comfort. Well, yeah, that's... Yeah. In order to do that, you have to have a controlling factor, which is government. Yeah, certainly. So in, in, the whole thing is an entirely false premise. You know, what started off as libertarianism, we call it today, morphed into liberalism, and the end result is the Equality Act. And as I was right. discussing with an earlier guest today, if you read the act, which I printed out and read, basically – uh, your sexual inclination, be it pedophilia, necrophilia, bestiality, is now legal. Can you imagine all these sexual predators that we have behind bars can actually be released based upon this act? Well, uh, I, you know, I, I haven't followed uh, the legislation quite so carefully, but if, if in fact that's what it says, that'd be terrible. Um, so, yeah. Um, hopefully, it will well, the, not be the way I see it, by the courts. The way I see it, Annie, the elites had to cover cover themselves since they get into such things, as we know from the Jeffrey Epstein case, that they had to have a a, a get out of jail ticket, sort of, and that legislation does it. Uh, Harvey Weinstein <laughs> up for trial. Harvey Weinstein, yeah. good example. And you know, your sexual yeah, if any one of them were to get caught, becomes legal. And so it is a way, I guess, to you know uh, sanctify their crimes. And it's it's a very scary thought. But this is your book explains how we got to this point in time. Yeah, well, um, certainly that was the intention of it to to try and give uh, a, a history of how this is developed and, and how. Uh, we got to where we are now. Well, you know, in the climate of this woke capital that we have out there, what direction do you see? Do you, because I have a funny feeling the pendulum has hit the top of its arc. It's going to have to start swinging back or we're in real trouble. Do you see it swinging back? Well, I, I do. Uh, I don't think we're there yet, but um, particularly within uh, the capital markets, which is, the primary focus of the second half of the book. I, I think that we, what we are seeing is very uh, faddish, uh, and we will eventually hit the point uh, where this is no longer uh, quite the fad that, that people uh, want to pour their money into. My guess is that happens uh, when, uh, economic, when economic conditions grow a little tougher uh, and investments need to be a little bit smarter to make money. Uh, Unfortunately, what happens uh, at that point is that a lot of 
ordinary average Americans who have their IRAs and their 401ks uh, and, you know, they're just investing uh, their extra money to try and save for a better future are going to get hurt uh, because all of this ESG stuff is going to, the bottom is going to fall out of a lot of it and, and they're the ones who are going to get hurt. Well, that's the one thing. The average person doesn't recognize, well, this is going up in the corporate executive offices. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't affect me. Actually, it does. You know, if you've got a savings account, if you've got, as you said, an IRA, if you've got any sort of a 401k investment account, brokerage account, um, I believe it or not, I use Robinhood. You know, if you have any sort of money tied up in any sort of investment, this affects it. Uh, it affects it in so much it could even affect your interest rate on your mortgage, depending upon you know who's holding that mortgage. It does affect the everyday life, and when that trickles down, it then morphs into affecting you on the retail and other levels in your life. It, it comes right out of your pocket. Yeah, that, well, absolutely, it comes right out of your pocket. Um, if you have money uh, in, invested. For example, in bank stocks, and J.P. Morgan uh, is the one that I'm thinking of particularly. Um, J.P. Morgan has decided, uh, because of its its moral virtue, uh, that it no longer wishes uh, to provide loans uh, to uh, fossil fuel companies. Energy traditional energy companies are not going to be eligible for loans from J.P. Morgan. Uh, now, if if you're invested with J.P. Morgan, then you have to wonder: is that a business decision? Or is this, a, you know, a, a, you know, um, is this virtue signaling? Is this something that they're doing specifically uh, to um, garner public attention? And and if it's the latter, they're doing it on your back. They're doing it with your money. And that's that's the major issue here. Is that everything that these large firms, publicly traded companies are doing, they're doing with our money. Mm-hmm. And if J.P. Morgan doesn't allow loans for fossil fuel you know, production, another bank will follow suit, and another, like Bank of America, is a good example. Oh, sure. Uh, and then up goes the cost of your gas. Now, since Biden took office, it's now a little over a month. I have seen gas prices rocket now. Last week I said 50 cents. It's up 80 cents a gallon. That's almost a full dollar a gallon than it was prior to his taking the oath of office. And even before, it started to climb up. So I was saying here in South Carolina, very soon you're going to see more than $3 a gallon gas. Now, wait a minute. That's how much it almost cost five years ago. So we're going backwards. You know, we're going back to what was before those came into into being. So it, it's, it does affect Every day. So if gasoline goes up, so does transportation costs. Transportation costs goes up goods and services. And it's going to hit everyone in inflation unless we find a way to roll this back. So how do we roll this back? Well, uh, it's going to be difficult, and it's going to be a long, long slog. Uh, the first thing we need to do is, is to make people aware of what's happening, uh, why it's happening, and who's responsible for it. Um, Raising awareness about this issue uh, and its pervasiveness uh, in American business and American finance, uh, I think, is the first step. Once people are aware of what's happening, then they can start to make decisions about how they use their money. Um, 
if you have an IRA, you can choose what funds you put your, your retirement in. You can avoid the funds that are managed by BlackRock or uh, Vanguard or State Street, the three large uh, passive management firms that are all primarily dedicated these days to sustainability. Um, if you have a 401k, you can look at you know, what sort of funds you're putting your money into. And if you only have the options from one of those three firms, then you go, you march into your HR department and you say, hey, look, this is not fair. We need to have greater options. We need to have the opportunity to put our money for retirement someplace that is less antithetical to our values. So I, I think, firstly, it's education, and then secondly, we have to take responsibility for where we use our money. Yeah, in other words, we have to be doing a conservative boycott, not a liberal boycott. Uh, for example, we have this recent uh, outbreak with Coca-Cola teaching, doing right. these employee seminars on how to be less white, less privileged. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's an excellent article that was up recently a couple of days ago in BizPack Review um, that explains this Coca-Cola sidestepping the claim of racial sensitivity training, urging employees to be less white. And it can be traced directly back to these programs that these marketing and personal firms, and I'm trying to think of the proper word. I'm sorry. I've been having major brain farts today. Uh, Public relations firms, these programs they put together and they sell to the company. Now, there are actually firms out there coming up with these really brilliant ideas. Let's put together a seminar to bring into a corporate office for the employees to learn how to be less white privileged. And they make money off of that. And then we go and buy their cuts. Yeah. There's a whole industry out there. Yeah. um, I think think you're right. There there is um, a responsibility uh, on the part of investors uh, and consumers uh, to push back. Um, I'm not a fan of boycotts. Uh, I'm a fan uh, more specifically of uh, engagement, uh, engaging with the companies um, in order to let them know that what they're doing is not okay by the majority of the American people. Um, I, I think that when that happens that uh, we have much uh, greater impact uh, than when we boycott. For example, um, as I'm sure uh, you know, yesterday was, was kind of a laughable day for Hasbro, uh, which first came the announcement that Mr. Potato, Mr. Potato Head is going to be degendered. It's just going to be Potato Head. Um, but there was enough pushback yesterday, uh, you know, just in one day and mostly on social media, that before close of business, Hasbro was, was out with their own tweet from the official uh, Hasbro company Twitter account saying, hey, hey, look, this is, no, this is not happening. There will still be a Mr. Potato Head and a Mrs. Potato Head. That's, you know, this is a complete misunderstanding. We want you to understand that that's not what we're doing. So by engaging, and even in this case, just by engaging with sarcasm and, and snark, uh, we were able uh, to push back against Hasbro's uh, sort of f- foolish, politically correct decision. Uh, so uh, there is a value uh, in engaging with these companies, uh, and I think most of them uh, have shown that they're uncomfortable, particularly with shareholders, 
uh, pushing back, whether those shareholders are, are left, right, or center, they don't want to be confronted by shareholders who are unhappy. Uh, so I think that there is some value uh, in engaging as opposed to disengaging. Well, that means I may have to uh, then make an investment in King Arthur Bakery uh, because uh, I bought some stuff from them and I get emails you know, telling you about you know different products, things, and everything else. And they sent me an email the other day about um, celebrating black bakers. And I'm like, excuse me? You wouldn't say celebrating white bakers. Why would you say celebrating black bakers? So I shot them off a letter that I read to my listeners earlier. You know, say, you know, majority of Americans are unhyphenated Americans. Why don't you, you know, if you want to celebrate something, uh, Caribbean, Italian, Norwegian, Spanish, Cuban, I can see you selecting a nationality or ethnicity, but doing it by race, that's kind of like, you know, really bigotry. Well, imagine if you took that letter and instead of just sending it to the company uh, generally, you sent it to the investor relations department and said, hey, I'm a shareholder um, and this is what I believe. I think the impact uh, would be significantly greater uh, there uh, than just sending the letter uh, more generally. No, I, I sent it to the customer service. I sent it directly. Yeah, you want said, to send no. it to invest- investment services. I, yeah, I understand that, but I think you probably will have more more impact if you can send it to investor relations. I'll, um, I'll dig up their, that's, their email. Shoot it over to them now. Yeah, well, that, that's – that's where they make the decisions uh, about uh, um, whether money is is lost or gained. Um, so that's you know that's that's the heart uh, of the uh, customer service area is investor relations. So I, I think that's that's how you want to go about this pushback. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with writing a letter uh, to customer service. There's nothing wrong with boycotting. Uh, I just think that in the end, uh, it, it's going to be more productive for us. Uh, to engage these companies uh, and to convince them that the loud, you know, the squeaky wheel that's getting the grease uh, is is not uh, the majority of us. Well, Stefan, it has been a pleasure having you on. Want to have to have you back. You are so much fun to talk to. Your book is called "The Dictatorship of Woke Capital: How Political Correctness Captured Big Business." People can get that at Encounter Books, um, and there's a link on our show page. So when people uh, listen to us in the archives, they can click on it and get your book, and they can click on it right now if they're listening and get your book. God bless you, sir. Excellent. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. I welcome you back in the near future. Take care. All right. Great. Check it out. Uh, go to Encounter Books, click on the link, and you can get his book. We're going to dial our next guest in. Curtis, this has been one messed up day, but let's get uh, Uncle Ted. So we're <laughs> dialing Uncle Ted right now. Here we go. One ringy diggy, Ted. Pick it up. Hello, this is Ted. Hi, Ted. This is Annie from Southern Sense. You're on the air live. Annie, I'm having... um, <laughs> just getting ready to call in. Perfect well, we're timing. We're having a problem with our studio. No one is able to call in. If you had tried, you would have gotten the busy signal or the line is dead. <laughs> So I don't know what the heck is going on with the people that provide big tech. the service. It's big tech. They're going to be hearing from big, me, that's for sure. Hey, big listen. tech is uh, monitoring us. 
Oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't doubt it. Because, Curtis, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Every single show we have had over the last two months, we have had problems with, haven't we? Really? Yep, that's correct. It's trying to silence us. I mean, every technology in every single show. And Curtis, you know, I, I had one of my. I'm go sorry, ahead, go ahead, Amy. I was well, say, I had a, one of my old veterans. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. I'll let, let you finish. <laughs> well, uh, we were not even, Ted, even able to get into the studio until about three minutes before airtime, and that had me panicking. So go ahead, Ted. <laughs> Well, I had a client, one of my old clients today, and a supporter called me and said he got a warrant. His wife got a warning from Booker Google because, and it's her business account, because the wife would repost some stuff on there that people send her. And they said, due to the nature of uh, the stuff that you're putting out, uh, we're warning you for any further, any further things will be um, caused to shut your site down. This is a business account, and it's not stuff she's posted. It's just reposting what's already out there. And it's yeah. it's not, I mean, it's not bad at all. I mean, he read me some of the stuff. It's just counter to the liberal progressives, the communists. Right. And that, ha- that yeah. has happened to me, too, as well. And they said they were going to um, close my account if I, I did something like that again. And I'm like, what is this? Um USSR re- reconstituted? There will be an alternative to these people, and we will shut them down just because uh, their their audience will be the, the crazy left. Well, you know, I have they'll, been, um, I just, they'll consume themselves. I just got myself out of FITMO. So yeah, I've been I've been in FITMO, TWITMO, you name it. I have been shadow banned. Um, I've had posters taken yeah. down. I mean, even up on YouTube, I have gotten warnings. So I'm pretty sure sooner, very quite soon, I'm going to be uh, one of those. I am pretty sure. I'm pretty sure okay. too. <laughs> so got to get my. Well, thanks for having up. me on. Oh, it is our pleasure. Now, my first question was: Has the House of Representatives absolutely lost their mind by passing the Equality Act? Um, yeah, well, you know, those are um, Nancy Pelosi's, the first 10 bills, H.R. 1 through 10, are the Speaker's wish list. And they they all passed the House last Senate, or last Congress. Mitch McConnell didn't bring any of those up. Um, the Equality Act is an interesting one because that takes rights away from parents to parent their children, especially when it gets down to the transgender thing, you know, the discussion you know, an adolescent really can't make those decisions. And to remove that, um, those decision-making um, processes from the parent and give it to a court is absolutely ridiculous. And any doctor that works on a child and is giving them replacement hormones of the other sex or doing um, sex change operations of an adolescent should be sued or malpractice, and their license should be taken away permanently. I read the original one that was written in 1972 that they proposed, and they're uh-huh. trying to sell this as if it was the original one from 1972. It is oh, not. No. It is far more insidious, and there are things in there that are far more dangerous. Now, um, 
I was oh really way lucky. way more dangerous. Well, Annie, yeah. if if your if your audience will look up and they can look these up, they type in HR one, HR two through ten. You know, do each bill individually. These are the uh, special privilege bills of the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Look at how they're going to fundamentally change this country. H.R. 1, the, the People's Choice Act, was the one about voting and that you could register the same day of voting. You did not have to prove residence where you live or country. You did not have to verify your signature. That, that was a bill that passed last Congress. Mitch McConnell blocked it, but the end result is Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Nevada, and Arizona enacted those, and they bypassed the state legislature. And so they got what was in those bills, and that's how um, um, O'Biden, <laughs> Joe O'Biden, got elected um, because it's an extension of the Obama White House. And that's how he got elected. So now the Democrats are going to codify all 10 of those bills into law, and they have great names. The People's Choice Act, I mean, yeah, it's on face value, it sounds good, like the Equality Act. But when you read the garbage that's in there, it has anything to do. It's counter America based on our past values. And it falls into the narrative of Barack Obama and Chuck Schumer say we are going to fundamentally change America. Those bills will do it permanently if we don't um, block those. I, I had a privilege of, of having... Uh, Phyllis Shafley on be- just before she passed away. Yeah. You know, Phyllis of Eagle Form. She was great. What a gracious lady. And she wrote uh, a couple of decades back about the Equality Act. And it's anything but that. But it, it fundamentally changes our entire society. So even my sure. talking against it at this point can be seen as in violation. So it takes away our First Amendment right of free speech our First Amendment right to freely practice our faith, our religion, without the interference of government, without the prohibition thereof of of government. It it then turns around and will prevent the very thing that Title IX protected, the right of women to freely uh, employ, or what do you want to call it, uh, their sport. Now, we right. had the case Compete. of these three young ladies in Connecticut that lost their scholarships, lost any future earnings through the sports because men took their places. Right. And that's a travesty. And, uh, you know, for the courts and legislatures to go against natural law or God's law, it's, it's um, well, it's blasphemy is what it is, but it, it's, it's, um, it should not be tolerated in a society like ours. And it's not discriminatory if you're against this, but as you already brought up the Equality Act, if you can raise your head and say, I don't like this, I think this is wrong, you're gonna be labeled as a person of uh, discrimination. You're gonna be targeted. You're gonna have the cancel culture go after you as we've seen so many people. But if we do not stand up, this stuff will happen in America. I think of the young men and women that from what we determine or decide or, you know, we look at them and say, these are normal young men and women. If they were to challenge any of this, they will be destroyed socially, 
And, um, you know, no telling what kind of fines are going to happen. It's government out of control, and, and, and it is anything but we the people in government controlling, you know, protecting our God-given rights. Yeah, all you have to do is look at what's happening recently. There's the professor from St. Joseph University that was suspended simply for putting out on Twitter on an, on an account that no one really should have been able to trace back to him. It was an anonymous name that, you know, it's one man, one woman. You look at then um, there was a student that posted something very similar and a student was suspended. You know, you have Smith College, which is a perfect example that just broke in the news yesterday, where this elderly janitor lost his job because uh, this woman, right. this girl with a shaved head was in a room no one was supposed to have been in. So he asked her to leave, but all of a sudden becomes a gender issue. And this poor guy, right. I mean, at his age, where is he going to get another job? And, uh, people well, and that's what they do is they... they they use those social programs and these just lunacy type laws, ludicrous, to divide this nation. And they're very astute at it. It's Sal Alinsky 101 or Joseph Goebbels, and they're going to cram that down our throat. And they're dividing this nation, and they're doing it on purpose. And um, you know, because of their hatred for this country and what freedom stands for. And you know, Kamala Harris back when she was running or right uh, before she got elected was saying. It's time we start addressing equal outcome. You know, our government was set up to give equal opportunity for all. And we went through 200 years of struggle, you know, slavery, the Civil War, the Civil Rights Movement, and we didn't have equal opportunity. But we have progressed so much better from where we were 200 years ago that equal opportunity is guaranteed now under the law. Equal outcome isn't. If we had equal outcome... I could dribble and shoot a basketball like LeBron James or throw a football like Tom Brady. And, uh, you know, it, you can't legislate equal outcome unless you're a communist nation. And yeah, well, I don't I think to, we want to be that. Well, I, I hate to do this, but, you know, Curtis just got kicked out of the studio. So just bear with me while I try to bring poor Curtis back in again. I'm telling you, they are really, really? out to get today. Yeah, this is now, I think, the third time he's been kicked off the show. So let me just dial Curtis back and see if we can get him back in. <laughs> he just sent me a message. Help! I got dropped out again. <laughs> I'll be darned. So, uh, folks, this is live radio. really just can't make stuff up. So we're ringing Curtis. Hopefully he'll be back in. All right, Curtis, you with us? Yep. I hear noise, Curtis. Oh, here we got Curtis back. <laughs> hey, Curtis, welcome I, back. Like I said, you <laughs> welcome back, Curtis. <laughs> oh, that, uh, that's going to be your new name, Curtis, today. Welcome back. But uh, I cut you off, Ted. I apologize. But, you know, our society is being fundamentally changed, and it's not – it's been going on for quite a long time, but it's gotten to the point yeah. where the rest of our nation is finally coming out of that fog. We've been so busy as as conservatives, as Republicans, as average, everyday middle Americans. We worry first about our family, our jobs, food on the table, kids got clothes, kids get educated, you know, church, home, your local community. And you don't think what they do 
in Washington has any real effect on your everyday life. This is America. Everything will be always okay in America. We're finding that's not really so anymore. It really isn't. And, you know, you look at the agenda of the Biden administration, one of the first things he did was to do the LGBT um, issue into the military again. And I know, you know, there's people of that mindset. I've got nothing against them. But was that a campaign issue? Is that something making America stronger? Did anybody even talk about that on the campaign issue? I know he didn't because he never came out of the basement. But they are pushing the social agenda and it comes directly from the Obama White House. Um, this was his thing. He's done it around the world. And it's made us a laughing stock in countries, uh, Western democracies, uh, Russia, China. Um, they're laughing at America. And they're saying, Do you, when they offer their form of government to other nations, and they call it socialism with Chinese characteristics, and they point at us and said, do you really want what's going on in America in your country? And most of the people say, absolutely not. And so this is intentional by the Democratic Marxists that are in office. Well, they, as I told my mom today, you know, we're becoming the United States Soviet Union, uh, no longer the USA. It's gotten to the point where even they're doing the indoctrination in the military, this uh, social cleansing, if yes. you want to call it, where they're trying to do the, the social justice teaching. Let's look out for activist terrorist groups within the military because of a few rogue members. Um, They're now even so much as if you even put up a social tweet or a posting that they seem to feel may show that you have some sort of a leaning that they do not agree with. They seem to think Uh, it uh, might. We'll get you booted. You're absolutely right. And uh, if, um, you look at what um, Garland Myrick or Myrick Garland has said. You know, he was the one that uh, Obama tried to put into the Supreme Court, and Mitch McConnell blocked him, which I'm, I think we're all thankful for that. But listen to what he has said as Attorney General that is one of his big issues and one of his big focuses is going to be on domestic terrorism. That domestic terrorism is being brought up by the O'Biden agenda. And what they are doing, you know, the the the, the whole thing with the transgender and the men, uh, boys, men playing in women's sports, um, they're doing that, and it's dividing this country further. And they just keep fueling the the flames of the fire and putting more fuel on there to make that worse. And uh, they're going to drive this country to a civil war. I truly believe that. Well, That's chief, true. just yeah, go ahead, Just You see what Chief just posted in the uh, chat room, because he said that uh, the the social justice military, social justice warrior military, will cause the U.S. to lose the next war, because they are. They're weakening the military. I can't tell you how true that is. I I spoke at um, one of the war colleges in my area, and I asked uh, some of the commanders there, I said, what do you see as um, one of the biggest threats to our country when it comes to the young men and women you're bringing in. He goes, resilience. I said, what do you mean? He goes, we have these new people come in. They're officers. We go out. They're supposed to be able to run two or five miles. They can't make it. They can't make it. They don't have the stamina, and you can't really do anything about it. You can't throw them out. So our resilience as a nation 
has fallen way behind. You know, and it's the same because this comes from a lack of leadership at the very top and members of Congress and the Senate because they don't focus on the major problems of this nation. They're focusing on LGBT in the the military, in the bathrooms. They're focusing on all this other garbage. And I'm not saying it's not important, but when you put it and rank it on national debt, border security, you know, China, rare earth metals, that stuff all falls at the very bottom, but yet that's what they're spending all their time on. And um, I think they all need to be thrown out. I, I personally believe that. Curtis, go ahead. Yeah. You know, we yeah, lost Curtis. a legend about a week and a half ago, and um, I'm sure you were there. Can you tell us what it was like to be in, in the halls of Congress when Rush Limbaugh was awarded the presidential um, Freedom Medal? Sure, sure. When I was there and I watched that. When I was there, I'm sorry. um, Well, you can't have a more divided Congress than what I saw. Now, I know this one's starting off probably worse, and I'm glad I'm not there for it. But when Rush Limbaugh did that, there was a sense of pride. There was uh, enthusiasm. Uh, for a guy that was always against the grain of the establishment and challenging them, and he had uh, just changed the thought pattern of so many people just by making them read, making them get educated, and he did more of a service for this country than I think uh, they'll talk about him 100 years from now and say what a impactful person. He'll, he sh- he'll be on somebody's list of 100 as most influential people if not the top 10, uh, versus, you know, some of these other people they put on there, which they shouldn't even, they don't even rank to be on that. But from the Democrat side, there was, there was hatred, and they showed that. But they were sure happy when Nancy Pelosi, playing with her false teeth, chewing, <laughs> and tore up that document right oh. in front of everybody, basically giving him, the president and the Republicans, the middle finger, and that's supposed to be acceptable. That's supposed to be tolerance. Yet the left, the communists, the, um, the progressive Democrats, they cheered that. They thought that was just the most, uh, the most um, correct thing to do. And that's how divided this nation is. That's what it was when I left. This Congress, from what I'm hearing, when I talk to my colleagues, ex-colleagues, it's, it's worse than it was, if you can imagine. Unfortunately, we're actually witnessing it, so it's no longer an imagination. It is reality. And I remember watching the State of the Union when Trump, his first one, and she tore the document up in front of the camera, and I'm going, she should be arrested. At that moment, she should have been handcuffed because she defaced an official government document. She destroyed an official government document, a full camera in front of the entire nation, and no one raised a finger against her. I mean, when we started the Tea Party, uh, we were talking about, you know, whether or not we become a 501c4 or not. And I said, let's not. Let's stay a loosely associated group because we don't want the government coming after us, asking us for uh, newsletters, asking us for email lists. If we become just a group of friends that gather once in a while to enjoy each other's company, they can't touch us. Sure enough, this guy came out with these... uh, 
a rubber stamp that you would put on the dollar bills when Geithner was the uh, secretary, uh, the treasury right. secretary. Uh, money, the cash, the dollar bills, $5 bills, whatever he had. He would stamp it saying tax cheap, wherever Geithner's name was. They went after <laughs> him and his business. They audited him. Is that right? Everything to him, except the one thing that they could have actually nailed him criminally for was defacing the currency, which is an official Defacing currency. If you wanted to arrest him and destroy him, get him for defacing the currency. Nancy Pelosi would have fallen underneath that same federal statute, and no one touched her. Well, there are double standards, as we all know. You know, that's that's a, a great example of a double standard. I'll show you another one. Bruce Springsteen oh. admits to drinking tequila, you know, but there are two small shots. I'm like, okay, you know, we can debate that. But if that would have been a young black man, do you think he would have gotten off? No. No. Absolutely. You know, do you, or if it was me. And so there is a double standard or what we're hearing about uh, Mayor um, or Governor Cuomo up there in New York with the sexual harassment and hiding, mm-hmm. you know, people dying. Um, if that was a conservative, would they be getting off? Absolutely not. And so you talk about a double standard, but yet the Democrats, all of them, We'll sit there and say how we've got to unite the nation, how we've got to come together, how we have to have tolerance and understanding and, and understand the other person's perspective. They do anything but that. And, uh, again, that's um, Saul Alinsky's tactic and Joseph Goebbels and AOC's tactics. That's what they do. They, they tell you what you should be doing and what's wrong, but they're doing the same thing. You know, and the it, media so- praises them for it. There is so much hypocrisy out there. As you mentioned, Bruce Springsteen, his recent arrest for drunk driving. Well, one thing I say, Jeep did pull the commercials. However, he gets awarded with a TV podcast program with former President Obama. So no, you get awarded well, for bad behavior? <laughs> I think that was in the works, and I think Obama had something to do with him uh, getting his record expunged. I don't want to say it's expunged, but I'm sure it will have no consequence. But you're absolutely right, and Jeep has put the commercials back on there. So, you know, it's okay well, because, yeah. <laughs> He's got the podcast Anyways. with the Obama. Oh, man. And then uh, my mom's physical therapist was over here this morning, and God bless him because he loves talking to me about this stuff. And he was incensed because, obviously, Nancy Pelosi, or as I call her, Nasty Pelosi, uh, made a statement yeah. yesterday about how the people – have to uh, respect her and the House of Representatives. We have to respect that. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's called the House (laughs) of Representatives, meaning that you do represent us. So shouldn't that respect be in the reciprocal area where you should be respecting us who put you there? You're supposed to be speaking our voice. We're not supposed to be parroting yours. Uh, You're absolutely right. Stands that. And I love seeing Kat up there. We've got to get her back on the show here, Ted. So, you know, yeah. give her a little elbow. Um, but the arrogance of that they, once they're in that seat of power, that we then serve them, they do not serve us. And that is what Oh, absolutely really right. Well, we need to remind them of that. And that's, you know, I was proud of all those protesters up there. I was up there that day. I was up there January 5th, 6th, and 7th. And I think we talked about that, didn't we? I think so. Yeah. Did we talk about that on the last program? 
those people were the essence of the Tea Party, the grandmothers and fathers, the grandkids, the adult children, and it was every ethnicity that you could think of. And they were very peaceful, the ones I saw. Now, granted, there were some bad players, and I'm sure some of the Tea Party-type people got involved in that, but they were telling Congress and the government, we don't put up with this crap that you guys are doing and telling us that this is normal, that we should accept this. You know, we're smarter than that. We know it's not. And uh, if I can't put out there one one man, one woman, if I can't put that out there because of the fear that I'm going to get arrested or uh, cancel culture, we've got a problem in this nation, and the silent majority will wake up. And um, I think you're seeing the stirrings of that. I, I honestly do think so also. And when you mentioned the attack on the Capitol, uh, which we're finding out that one of the ringleaders received $30,000 ahead of time for CNN for getting into the Capitol and filming it. Um, turns really? out he has really? patches. Yes. Yeah. The CNN paid one of the instigators $30,000 to get in there and film it. You see the fact that Nancy Pelosi did not order proper security. Um, the FBI had a threat warning out there that was completely ignored, and there were not enough yeah. Capitol Police. Matter of fact, you see the Capitol Police opening up the barriers and letting them through on film. Yeah, yeah, and it sure did. Things wrong that were done wrong. Uh, and there was other departments that said, listen, we need to do a threat assessment. We need to put more people in there. And there's one group of the Capitol Police that were pulled off and sent to a different area of D.C. You know, it's just so many things were wrong from the get-go. And as a retired cop, the second I saw this happening, I'm going, something stinks here. It was as if Nancy Pelosi wanted to see this happen in order to destroy her opponent. Well, I don't think she's smart enough to do that by herself. I think there's a whole... Um, just a whole organization that's orchestrating that. And again, it's to divide this nation or permanently change us in this nation. So it's not the dominant power in the world. And we're rapidly declining. I mean, um, you know, in so many different areas. And they're the ones leading this charge. The American people need to wake up. And I know some of them have. Um, but until they get in enough pain and it hurts bad enough, they're not going to do a thing about it. Once people start suffering personally, whether it's their religious freedom, their personal freedom, getting blocked off of an internet, in mass, they will tolerate it. But once it gets to that point, you know, once you get rapid change in this country. Well, you know, we're down to our last few minutes with you, Ted, but I have to say, Rand Paul yesterday rocked. He absolutely rocked when he was questioning <laughs> the Department of uh, Health, Health and Human Services and nominee. I watched that this and, morning. <laughs> oh, it, that that had me roaring. Go, Rand. Go, Rand. I, he really decimated this witness and rightfully called it he out. Really that he really did. She did not answer the question. God bless my mom. He did not answer the question. I texted him and told him, great job. You know, (laughs) if you go back and listen to that and listen to the question, and he says, you're okay with these street kids that have no parents, minors, 
you're okay, and you even said that I will do anything I can to expedite those procedures on these kids. And he, I mean, the guy said that. <laughs> and oh, he didn't back my, down from it. My mom's looking at the TV screen and goes, that, why are they calling her she? Why are they calling <laughs> that person that she? And my mom. God is bless she, your mom. She's going to be 89 this July, July 4th. <laughs> it's just she's just sitting there, eighty nine. She's like, if I were, if I were a woman, I would be very offended today, you know, with people like Dr. Levine, or um, the high school boys competing against women. After all the struggles women went through since the suffrage act forward, the Democrats are taking them backwards and minimizing and taking away all those gains, and they're doing that. Absolutely, and sooner or later, the women are going to have to reunite along the lines they were originally attended as, as we were Republicans and conservatives. They've got to come right. back to the fold, unite once again. Forget about now. Now is then. <laughs> Forget about that joke now. <laughs> That's right. But, Ted, all right. since, since Retired from the house. Uh, where can people find you since you're no longer up on the house website? Um, I've started a consulting business, not a lobbying business, a consulting business. And I've got my same phone number, 352-665-8223. And um, uh, they can find me on the web. Well, you're going to have to make sure you send me a link to that website. So the next time I have you on, I can yes, put ma'am. the link up there. So well, I appreciate Ted it. is always a fun, and I still am going to call you Uncle Ted. <laughs> That'll be fine, Miss Annie. Appreciate it. Curtis, take care. Say hi to Caroline. Say hi to your Caroline, and I'll say hi to mine. All right. All right. Ted. All right. You all take care. Have a great weekend. Thank, Thank you. Thanks for coming on the all show. Right. All right. Now we're going to try to get our last guest in. Uh, who with the Heritage Foundation trying to dial over to Hey, this is Jared. Sorry, I can't answer the phone right now, but if you leave a message, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Thanks. At the tone, please uh, record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. All right. Uh, Jared, this is Southern Sense trying to call you in live onto the radio show. Um, Unfortunately, we have a problem with our studio phones. I will try again in a few more minutes. Uh, if you do get this message in approximately five more minutes, I will call you back. All right. Anyway, Curtis, I guess this is what we have to do. Um, just wing it. Holy cow. All right, Curtis. Anyway, yeah, what we, a great guest. We, we, have to we, we got a lot that we can, can discuss while we're waiting for our next guest. And I, I would venture to start with um, what – do you think Trump may um, discuss at CPAC this weekend? I have my own thoughts on it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you can probably bet he's going to tear apart the Voting Rights Acts uh, that Nancy Pelosi is proposing, as well as this Equality Act. Um, hopefully, he'll also address the readiness of our military, uh, the social justice warriors' attack on our military. Um, I and probably China, because uh, now with the large influence uh, through our current Congress, uh, as well as our sitting president, their influence and attachments to China, it should be a major topic. So I don't know. 
It's really interesting. I saw bits of a little bit of Ted Cruz, and I'm going to try after I get off the air to see if I can catch the whole thing at CPAC because Ted Cruz was on earlier today, and he basically turned around and said the Obama administration is akin to the Star Wars imperial realm. <laughs> so <laughs> the emperor yeah. is on the phone. <laughs> oh, man. And just wait until they finally determine that uh, Joe Biden is officially mind-addled and they end up pulling, oh, yeah. uh, what, is, what is it, the 14th Amendment uh, to pull power from Biden. Yeah, and uh, install Queen Camilla in the White House. Oh, they yep. can't wait for that. Now, I think, and what I'm hoping is that Trump will say that he's going to um, start up a, either a social media network or some kind of uh, conservative um, television network. He's got the money to do it. And he's got at least, at least a fan base of 75 to 80 million, you know, um, viewers just just waiting oh you know one of the things oh oh man you could have i I meant to ask ted about this one uh about uh about 30 members of congress uh have been trying to put forth forth legislation to strip biden of sole authority to launch the nuclear codes they were asking him originally to uh relinquish it voluntarily Kurtz, can you imagine if the nuclear codes ended up in the hands of someone like Nasty Pelosi and the members of Congress? You know, what's the point of having a code if every single member of Congress has access to it, right? Congress cannot even get out of its own way. So if we ever end up in a situation where we need to make an an immediate response, you're going to rely on Congress coming into session sitting down and debating and voting on something in a timely fashion in order to use the nuclear codes. Can you imagine that? No, there's no single situation I could ever think of that Congress can act as swiftly as possible. No, there there isn't. And you can't do it that fast. They cannot come to a consensus that fast. Now, all we have to do is look back at the situation with the uh, Vietnam War. Congress was in charge of the Vietnam War, not the White House. So, you know, the debacle that became the Vietnam War, our worst defeat ever. And Congress wants the nuclear codes. I don't think so, folks. To, to, To show you how much of a hindrance government is, when they landed when they grounded all the planes on 9-11 for security reasons, I mean, for the first time ever in aviation history, they grounded all the airplanes in American airspace except for military and um, some some necessary, you know, emergency-type helicopter-type things. So, of course, Congress being Congress, they decided that they were going to come up with some kind of guide you know, some kind of legislation that would would follow the same um, procedures, but it would be in in, in legislate you know legislative format. And what they decided after the point was that, hey, you you would never be able to respond 
you know, efficiently and, and, and expeditiously having to look at a document <laughs> that might be a thousand pages long because, you know, Congress, they don't, they don't legislate um, anything less than at least a thousand pages. So they decided just to nix it. They would wing it if it happens again, if they have to ground everybody. So they, they had to admit that their own processes would be a hindrance. Well, let's see if we can get our guests back in on the, on the line. Let's try Jared one more time from the Heritage Foundation. So hopefully he got the message and he knows to pick up the phone. Thanks. This is Jared. Hi, Jared. Can this you hear me? is Ann from. Yes, we can. This is Annie, the host from Southern Sense. I have to apologize. We are having some major problems with our studio where no one can dial into our number. So I'm sure you got uh, the busy signal like everyone else. So welcome on to Southern Sense today. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it is our pleasure. I, the world has gone absolutely ape. And I'm I'm glad that we have you at least to help us make a little sense of what we are facing. You are a research associate with the Heritage Foundation's DeVos Center for Religion and Civil Society. And to this morning, they passed the Equality Act, and that goes against every single aspect of civil society and religion. Oh, my goodness. Are they nuts? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... You know, Americans should never have to live in fear of being penalized for their most deeply held beliefs. But the Equality Act that was passed yesterday would force every American to agree with a government-imposed ideology or be treated as an outlaw. Uh, it, It really gives the government power to dictate what we can think and say and do, and specifically regarding gender and sex. And this is a gross violation of our, our most basic constitutional freedoms. Yeah, well, we see that it's already hitting us in society, this woke uh, thing that you, know, you can't say a man is a man, a woman is a woman. Um, matter of fact, I love what Marjorie Green put outside her office yesterday. Um, but, you know, you have a college student that has been suspended for saying a man is a man, a woman is a woman. Um, you have a college This was out of SUNY, the State University of New York. Um, And you also now have a college professor out of St. Joseph's University, which is a religious university, you know. And because he put a tweet up under an alias, it got somehow or other traced back to him, and he's suspended. They're already impacting people's lives. Smith University is another one that you can say that the janitor lost his job because he mistook the person for being a man and not a woman besides the person being in the wrong room at the wrong time. You know, our woke society is broken. Yeah. I mean, I think when we look at, if if this gets passed and pushed through, I mean, it's just going to be a top-down imposition of of this gender, uh, this destructive gender ideology. Um, If it gets signed into law, religious freedom and, and conscience rights will be demolished. It, it, it really turns disagreement uh, over, again, biological sex and marriage into legal discrimination. Well, not only that, it takes away free speech. My even discussing this at this point violates the act. Uh, it, 
it also then legalizes criminal behavior because it talks about sexual inclination. Well, pedophilia is an inclination. Bestiality, that's an inclination. So that means that now whatever you feel like doing, despite the fact it's against our moral and ethical values, is now permissible. The Pandora box is open. Yeah, exactly. You know, the saddest part to me is that, you know, those who who really stand to lose the most are the very ones, you know, the bill's proponents say will gain the most, and specifically women, uh, children, uh, and especially those struggling with gender identity. Um, We'll see, you know, we're already seeing this, but we'll see even further, and again, from this top-down eradication uh, of, of protections for women and girls, uh, in you know single sex spaces uh, for girl uh, girls only sports, um, especially with children, uh, it imposes you know radical and destructive gender ideology to be taught in schools. It takes away their ability to speak up and to dissent. Uh, it really pressures um, it really pressures them into conformity. Uh, otherwise, right, they'll be treated as an outlaw. Exactly. And for a young child to be treated as an outlaw, the stigmatism, you know, kids yearn the company of other children, of other adults. They need that nurturing in order to grow and to prosper. And once you do that, you've actually killed the child, basically. I mean, it's child abuse in, in very essence. You know, you stifle free speech, you stifle religion, you stifle every aspect of society. Exactly, exactly. And that's, and that's what we'll see, again, if, if the Equality Act gets passed, um, because it, because, precisely because it eliminates uh, these, you know, conscience protections from existing civil rights laws, um, you know, and, and basically guts religious exemptions, uh, you know, it, everything flows from that. Uh, there's, there's no recourse. Uh, I was um, just, you know, looking at the... Uh, uh, lawsuit in Connecticut uh, from some uh, female athletes who were forced to compete against biological males and lost out on uh, real serious, you know, career and scholarship opportunities. Um, you know, and, and they're basically, not, not only are they being forced to compete against biological males who have proven competitive advantages against them, right? They're also uh, being forced uh, to, to be silent. Exactly, exactly. They lose out on their scholarships, which means their further education is then stymied and stifled. They lose out as a possible potential career, the income, uh, and also not just the career in the sport, but any endorsements they may get while playing the sport or even after as a former pro athlete. It, it affects the rest of their entire life. And how their lives are going to be changed is is devastating. It, it is. It's heartbreaking um, because you know civil rights uh, law, especially Title IX under the 1964 Civil Rights Act, uh, was designed specifically uh, for for women and girls. Um, but again, yeah, the Equality Act will erase these these critical protections uh, by forcing them uh, to compete. Uh, against biological males and to let them into women's only spaces. I mean, this this eliminates 
safety, opportunity, and equality from women. It's it's a step backwards. You know, all segments of our society, by the um, amendments in our Constitution, protects everyone, protects every single individual. We don't need the additional legislation that Congress is, has now passed, the House has now passed, in this Equality Act. And um, as I told Tom when he was uh, sending me your information, that I had uh, the immense pleasure of uh, interviewing Phyllis Shafley just before she passed away, you know, of Eagle Forum, and now her daughter runs it. Uh, What a pleasure it was to talk to her. And we did discuss the Equality Act, but the one at that time that was being proposed was the one from 1972. And the main reason why I objected to it uh, and which she also did agree, is that because they use the word sex, not gender. You know, we do know a biological gender is either female, a biological. I'm not talking about a surgical alteration. Uh, but you are already protected. Once you use the word sex, well, then again, it's whatever your predilection is. You can turn around and say you're a XYZ gender. You know, any one of the 65, 72, 85, I don't even know how many are out there right now. So how do you identify an individual and not commit a crime? Right. I mean, this is this is precisely what's, what's wrong with the Equality Act is that, you know, uh, skin color um, is, is observable. Uh, it's an objective fact. Um, you know, biological differences uh, between the uh, male and female are observable facts, um, even to some degree, you know, as a result of, uh, you know, sexual orientation being incorporated, that's, that's observable in people's actions to some degree. Uh, but, but gender identity especially is, is completely subjective. And there's no way for anyone to know who's, who's identifying, uh, you know, as what. Now, it, biological gender is an actual fact but now that uh, an actual an actual fact but now they want to form a subjective fact it's whatever i decide that the fact is it's not what the real truth is that can be proven scientifically it, that doesn't matter anymore yet you hear the left go it's the science it's the science there is no science here this is That's just a to suppress society and kill Christianity. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, the the Equality Act politicizes, especially medicine, and, and specifically and most dangerously, children. Um, there, there isn't um, scientific evidence that uh, you know sex change interventions. Uh, are actually helping children at, at all. Um, actually, the science shows the opposite, that 80 to 95% of children struggling with gender dysphoria, if they're allowed to go through puberty, uh, will reconcile with their biological sex. And those who undergo these uh, physical interventions, whether through you know puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, or sex change surgeries, um, they don't. Uh, they don't see any lasting benefits to their mental health. So the science is is not on the left side at all, and that's really what uh, that's what we're fighting for. The science. You're exactly right. But what we do see 
is a very disturbing trend because in the past, when there was true gender dysphoria, nine times out of 10, or even large, I think it was like only 1% were female, the vast majority were males that would have this gender dysphoria. And even then, it was a very small segment of, of society, of children, very, very small segment. But we see it almost as if it's a pandemic. All of a sudden, all these girls, now the vast majority, 9 out of 10, are female, no longer male. So is this uh, a mass hysteria that we're seeing, or is it, in fact, a real health issue? Yeah, definitely, definitely major causes for concerns, um, either way you look at it. Um, there are there are definitely problems with the push for uh, uh, trans-affirming medical interventions. Uh, We're going to see, again, the erasure of of women and girls. Uh, The ones who stand to lose the most, you know, as as I mentioned earlier, are are the ones that uh, this bill's proponents claim will gain the most. And and that's women and girls, uh, first and foremost, alongside children, uh, and and again, not to mention every American. Um, so yeah, I mean, if we let if we let this become the standard medical care, uh, we're we're erasing women and girls. Yeah, and I loved Rand Paul uh, yesterday when he was uh, uh, interviewing the Department of um, Health and Human Services nominee. He actually decimated the witness uh, when he said, "Well, it's okay." For you to turn around and have street kids go through this procedure without any adult supervision, you are theirs now. You're going to help them, you know, do this a lot faster than normal kids whose parents may object to this. So, you know, this child who's not old enough to make an informed and adult decision. I mean, how many times would a kid turn around and go to do something that you know is going to hurt them? And they're going to just going to try to do it anyway. Unless you, as the adult, are there to intervene, you know, this child has a chance of destroying itself. Nominee wants them to do. You know, who's the adult in the room here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Senator Paul's comments were were great yesterday, and I think it was it was wonderful to see uh, such uh, forceful uh, art and strong articulation of what's really at stake. And and you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, because this impacts children, um, this impacts parents. It impacts what uh, they're able to do. I mean, uh, it could it, it could be as extreme, uh, you know, what we'll see if the Equality Act gets passed. It could be as extreme as what we saw in uh, 2019 in Ohio where um, a child was removed from the custody of uh, their parents um, because they the, the parents weren't willing to... Uh, provide this kind of trans-affirming physical interventions. I mean, uh, and in Senator Paul's language, genital mutilation. Um, You know, so it it affects everyone, and it it affects parents, too. It affects the entire family. We've done numerous shows on this and how the kids now have access without the parents' knowledge, to various websites that tell them how to do, go about saying, you know, I'm a transgender, or I'm this, I'm that, and go behind the parents 
in order to start the process with taking the hormones, uh, what to say to the parents, how to treat the parents. So no longer the parents being in control of their own child. They've taken control of the child and convinced them that the idea that your parent doesn't want you to do this until you're old enough to make an informed adult decision, that's bad. That's bad. The parents are bad, and what we're telling you is good and right. The end result is this Equality Act. Yep, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, and and if it's not uh, if it's not through the Equality Act, um, you know, it's it's through other attempts uh, to to push this kind of uh, destructive gender ideology um, on on Americans. You know, so if it's not through Congress, it's through you know Biden's executive order, and if it's not going to you know if they can't get their way through those, um, like we saw yesterday in the, the Levine hearing, like you mentioned, um, you know, when asked point blank uh, whether minors are, are capable of making and, and should be allowed to make life-altering decisions to change their sex and with the support of, of government intervention if necessary, uh, Levine, uh, Biden's, you know, appointed uh, assistant secretary to HHS, um, refuse to answer and, and that's that's not acceptable not you know it, it, you would not hand a child a loaded weapon without supervision you would not have that child drive a car without the proper training and supervision you would not allow them to drink alcohol they are not old enough to vote yet they're old enough to make such a life-altering decision that will as you said mutilate their bodies and destroy their lives. We see a higher incident of alcoholism, drug addiction, um, suicide, a much higher you know, incidence of this through the transgender you know, society or segment of society. So yeah. when are people going to wake up that this is a destructive thing to do? If you're an adult, then you're an adult. But don't do this to the children, don't, not future generations. Yeah, yeah. That's why at, um, my team at, at Heritage has been uh, quick and putting a lot of effort into uh, what has become the promise to America's children, which is which is really about equipping uh, Americans across our nation uh, to to become informed about these issues and to protect children. Uh, they are our greatest gifts and our our greatest resources in our brightest future, and they have to be protected. Uh, the Equality Act uh, endangers children, puts them at risk of, of things they should never have to be exposed to, whether that's, you know, sexualized education, uh, politicized medicine, like we're seeing, like we've talked about already, um, all, from, all, from all sides of, of society, um, they're, they're under assault by this kind of sexual message. Um, and so the promise to America's children is, is a a renewed effort, uh, you know, with a, a wide variety of partners and supporters across the country, you know, really working to support um, and protect children against uh, bad legislation like the Equality Act and to protect them uh, with by, by putting good legislation through Congress and through state le legislatures. 
Well, people can find you at heritage.org and they can search your name, Jared Eckert, E-C-K-E-R-T, Jared Eckert, on the heritage.org and read your marvelous articles on there. I mean, there's so much more to talk about. I'm sorry that we had the studio problems not getting you in as, on time uh, because of the mix-up that I'm going to be having a long discussion with this uh, provider here on what went wrong. Anyway, I would like to have you back because we barely even touched the religious side of this. Heaven help the poor minister or priest that starts to preach the gospel and saying marriage is between one man, one woman, or, you know, it should, or anything else that is cited in the Bible supporting the idea of only male and female. Heaven forbid what the rain of hell from this act will end up falling upon their heads. Them all strength and prayer. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, and have a blessed weekend, Jared. Check him out, Jared at, at uh, heritage.org. He's got marvelous, marvelous articles up there. Uh, they're doing hard work over there. We're down to our last two minutes, Curtis. Uh, that's all we got for today, yeah. but I'm going to try to straighten out what's going on here. And we are definitely going to um, accelerate our move to a new platform so we don't have any of this BS happening. Um, so we will be back here uh, next week, same bad time, same bad channel. Yeah, so I will leave you with my buddy, Gary Pecorello. Shut up, lady. Uh, stay, stay for America. I told you I'm on a tear today. Until then, guys, God bless. Be safe out there because the crazies are on full alert. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.